This podcast is sponsored by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. Please visit Hover.com and use promo code CHILDREN to get 10% off your first order. He has to pay the iron price. He has to pay the iron price. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, Hill and Payne and Hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Valar to Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must die. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com. We're the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. Tonight, we're covering the finale of season four, the 10th episode, titled The Children. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. You know, every time I think I'm really bringing it with the intro, and then I listen to uh-huh. it, and I sound like a sleepy old man on NPR, so this time I just fucking went for it. I was going to comment on that, actually. And you're I'll... actually, you're blossoming into this podcast leader role. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for years. It's good to see somebody else forced to do it. Because I always think it's like, surely that was enough. Surely I brought, so, yeah. I brought the up tempo. Mm. Uh, but no, uh, I, I've been. I was just listening to last week's podcast. I'm like, who is this doddering old fuck <laughs> that is trying to rock this microphone? So reactions all over the map on this episode. I knew there was huh. going to be uh, a lot of book fan uproar. I was surprised at the 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 sound and the fury of it all. That's interesting. I- is it actually that people are in an uproar or just the book readers are in an uproar? It seems like it's the sharpest divide of, you know, because the, it, okay. it's mostly uproar over what is missing or what has been changed. And if you're a show watcher, yeah. you you don't know. Sure, I have stuff. no idea what's going on. So my question to you is, uh, as a show watcher only, mm-hmm. what was your opinion of this episode? I really like this episode. Where do you see it fitting in in the Game of Thrones canon as far as uh other other finales oh well i think it's probably the best finale okay uh, that game of thrones has ever had which might be damning with faint praise because the finales have never been the oh my god episodes of game sure. of thrones yeah they're like episode nine episode eight right those are those are the big ones uh so yeah i thought this was a really really strong season finale for them um I I don't have the problem of having read the books and knowing what was taken out and what they right. left on the cutting room floor. So to me, none of that matters, and right. I just see it as a really solid episode. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to agree, and I don't because I I watched it again. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll you know I, I won't be as swept up in the excitement and some of the awesome action scenes because I thought that some of the best fight work yet, some of the best CGI work yet, I think. This was the most, it turned out that this was the most expensive episode that they've ever made. I know that last week's episode kind of huh. ran a close second, and the Double Ds in the weeks leading up to this said that they felt like this was their finest hour yet. So I don't know, maybe they just set things, the expectations to be sky high. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of things uh, that I can only talk with book readers about that we'll do in the spoiler section, and you won't be a part <laughs> okay. of them. Yeah. So. Uh, but no, I quite liked it. I think it's easily the best finale. Again, mm-hmm. yeah. there's not a huge amount of competition because mostly the explana- exp- exclamation points have been this ninth episode. Mm-hmm. This season, it was the eighth episode. Yeah. But I kind of feel like this episode hung right there, you know, with some of the best. It's in the t- my top five, probably. Yeah, this was a really good episode. 
Uh, and we'll talk more about why when we get into the actual recap. Right. And let's, uh, I was going to ask you about where you think season four fits in among the other seasons as far as best, but I think that's a topic best left for next week. Okay. Because we're not done with our Game of Thrones coverage. No, we traditionally have um, a season recap podcast where we talk, uh, I'm going to talk, it's kind of, some people consider it light spoilers. I do not um, because it's never it came back to bite me to where I've said something with background detail or how things have changed and it ends up ruining something. You know, I mean, just think about it. Or if, if they've already passed something chronologically, what's the odds that they're actually going to then reuse that material in the future? It's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting to talk about how things went down in the books versus how things went down in the series. It's going to be really challenging this week to, or this season because there's so many deviations and there's so much new information brought in. But it's always a good time and a good way to reflect back, uh, get a lot of your feedback out of the way. Jim and I will talk about our overall impressions. That's coming up next Tuesday. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. But now... Enough bullshit. Let's let's recap this children stuff. Okay. John walks out into the twisted hellscape that is the Wall's Gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, into the haunted forest, and he surrenders to Mance Raider. What do you think? <laughs> okay. So it was really cool to see the destruction outside and just let him kind of have a, a quiet moment walking through that. Uh, that was pretty neat. The, going going out to Mance Raider, he went directly to Mance Raider. Like, mm-hmm. there's a 100,000 dudes out there. You happen to walk right to Mance Raider? Yeah. Okay, all right, whatever, I'll buy it. 
I mean, he's been it's in the wildling. He's they're... been in the wildling camp before, so I didn't have sure, that much of a problem. I, with I, it. I just think they're they're saying, you know, he could wander around this hundred thousand man army for a while, but why waste your time? So you find that a little implausible. Uh, what else? Yeah, I, it doesn't really matter ultimately. Though <laughs> um, we see, I, I don't know if it's here or before this, where Mance says who the giant was who died. Uh, says he was the king of the giants, apparently, right? Something like that. Mag? I don't know his full name. They keep, they refer to him as Mag a couple times. Yeah, the giant names are crazy. Okay, oh, great. They're like multi-part, magmar, wugwam, blah, No, I'm know, glad they're scarce then. Yeah, so they, they usually have uh, nicknames. Okay. Uh, he, he was the king, apparently, right? Yeah, well, a very old bloodline. Yeah. So now he's dead. Uh, they're kind of pissed about that. Would you, I thought that was interesting that because the wildlings are all about protesting that they are not kneelers and they don't give a shit about sure. who's your father and who's your son. But really, they're a lot more like the Southrons than they care to admit if bloodlines and ancient heritages and names mean that much to them. Yeah, I mean, you could say that maybe it means that much to the giants and they know that. And so they're kind of concerned about it as far as they go. But who cares when it comes to yeah, the wildlings? I, I guess. Know. I just thought it was John hoisting them on their own petard. <laughs> that also could be. Yeah. Oh, uh, would you, you know, I've been kind of lukewarm on I think this guy's name's Karen Hines. I who? have no idea. The guy that plays Mance Raider. Oh, OK. Uh, I've been kind of lukewarm in his performances thus far, not that there's been a lot of it. Um, I think part of it is because there was some casting news that, uh, you know, there was going to be a lot. The guy who played Aragorn, whose name's escaped me in The Lord of the Rings, uh, Vigo Mortensen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, he, that there was talks that maybe he would be, and, uh, you know, people were kind of excited about that. And then we get this guy, this kind of old, doughy-looking doughy dude. I feel like... I don't know whether it was just the greasy, stringy haircut or whether he just had better material to work with or maybe Kit Harrington has grown as an actor in the last two years so you can actually stand against him and, and have him rise to the challenge. But I liked him as this king beyond the wall a lot more. Okay. Did you, are you feeling me on that or is it just kind of same old, same old or what? It's weird because when I was watching this episode, I was thinking, do I actually, do I respect this character like this guy playing this character can mm -hmm. i can i really put myself in the scenario with him playing it and i feel like he has gotten better like yeah. I, I was actually thinking that during the episode and i i don't know why because we've seen him before do you think this and, and i well let me, let's get to the end of the scene and let's get through stannis first before i ask that question okay i i i do think that why do you think that if, if he was honest in this whole attention to, hey, we're not here to conquer, we just want to hide behind your wall, why wouldn't he have shared that with John? Why wouldn't they have tried to get in contact with the Black Brothers and try to negotiate peace before they just started, you know, killing everybody at Castle Black and attacking? I mean, they didn't even try. Yeah, I mean, is this 100,000-man thing an army, or is it a caravan of courage? Like, what is this thing? See, I think that's what... <laughs> it seems like an army to me. I Yeah, but I think that that's, that's actually something that we found out this week, that that 100,000 does... You know, that's not just troops. That's men, women, and children. 
Sure. And they can't all just climb the wall. They need the gate because you can't take your elderly and your <laughs> yeah, and your, your, your babies are not going to climb over that. You're going to sling them over the wall and uh-uh. not with the side going anyway. But uh, <laughs> he he wants to offer. I mean, John's offer is ridiculous. Turn your army and go home. Uh, and and his <laughs> offer is decidedly less ridiculous. Open the gate, and I promise the the bloodshed will be over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that he can vouchsafe for the thins though. Yeah, that's a very good point. And maybe uh, that's part of the threat, that maybe you trust Mance, but do you trust the whole Wildling coalition? coalition? Yeah, coalition is a, a very shaky term in this in this scenario, because right. these guys are just hobbled together out of everything that's up north. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, Mance, yeah, he got them together to walk south, and he promised them, you know, probably a warm land and a bounty, I'm sure. Sure. But once they get it, what's to stop the Thins from just going buck wild in Westeros? Right. Booty is the death of duty. <laughs> and it's not just the, the, the pleasingly round booty. It could be the fat stacks of gold, you know? They get south of the yeah. wall, and it's like, on the King's Lane, let's sack this shit. Yeah, and now there's tons of gold in uh, Westeros with Bravos gold being over there. Right. Davos has got the Bravos gold. Right. Uh, plus Tywin died, his gut spill open, there's gold everywhere. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, John grabs like a butter knife and is going to come at Mance and Mance's like, oh, are you, you know, are you the type of guy that can kill a man after he's made a peace offer? And we don't get the answer to that because Stannis Demandis comes riding in and basically it flattens the wildling army. Sure. Um, it's just, it seems like, again, I don't feel like you bought it as much as me, but when I saw all those mounted knights riding in, knowing that the the wildlings don't have any kind of cavalry, let alone any kind of armor or, you know, training and that kind of thing, I just feel like it was going to be a rout. Yeah, uh, it could be. I, I've thought about it a little bit more, and it seems like, yeah, I mean, fighting a guy on a horse... Uh, one-on-one is tough <laughs> when you're fighting a guy who's just running through a crowd with a horse. Yeah, I mean, you don't have, That's like, rough. pikemen or any kind of... I mean, uh-uh. the only way you can repel that is with very, you know, highly trained troops with pikes and shields, yeah, yeah. and otherwise, it's you're just going to get a lawnmower action. Sure. Uh, Stannis Demanis is awesome. Uh, he comes up with a, uh, Davos on his side out of the smoke and mist. Uh, he asks, uh, it's kind of cool, the lone wildling that kind of lost his mind and went at him. And you think that there might be this badass scene of either Davos or Stannis cutting him down. But nope, he just gets, he just illustrates how helpless a man on foot is against a horse. <laughs> just gets hit like a Mack truck. True. Uh, Stannis says, hey, uh, you need to surrender. And the man said, that's fine, but I'm not going to kneel. That seems to be a problem. And then Jon Snow uses his heritage as a Stark. And uh, the affection that I guess Stannis has towards Ned mm-hmm. as a way to kind of defuse the situation. Upshot is that uh, Mance is going to be taken prisoner. Yep. But what are we going to do with the 100,000 wildlings beyond the wall? Uh, apparently just let him sit there and starve because he said he can't feed him. He can't really do anything with them. Uh, I don't think... Even if Mance surrenders, like we've talked about how shaky this army is. Mm-hmm. If Mance surrenders, what's to say that the Thin are going to surrender? What's to say the Giants are going to surrender? I mean, that might be his secret weapon. I mean, how effective is a Giant against an army of horses? Um, <laughs> I think a Giant could just walk right through them. Maybe Giants were 10 mounted horsemen. 
But I don't think. <laughs> oh, I think it's more than that. Eleven guys dead. No, ten no, no, maybe no, eleven. No, no. I feel like this is like a variation of the Reddit, uh, you know, classic AMA question. Like, would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or oh, one yeah, horse-sized yeah. duck? <laughs> would you fight a hundred Westerosi on horseback or one one giant that's just swinging his dick around? Mm. Um, I think my chances against giant, honestly, with a hundred horses on my mm. on my side, uh, as long as they're not duck-sized. <laughs> duck size horses no okay. that, that's just creepy yeah 100 yeah. horse size horses i would take my my chances with the giant so well, one thing we kind of glossed over oh before we get too far away from it don't want to gloss over anything um when john first gets to mance doesn't mance tell him that he's got guys who went around like uh like exactly like we were talking about yeah so that's the battle the, that's one of the things i want to talk about now so we can talk okay. about it. Perfect. Uh, he my... says he's got guys going out in one direction, I think. Yeah. And climbing the wall and then coming in. Well, he started a boy side. band? Oh, Westeros' dude. Well, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, they're going to sing them off the wall. Yep. Uh, it's going to be like the Pied Pipers. All the teenage girls just come running, <laughs> screaming. It shatters the wall. Uh, yeah, so my question is, uh, this scene, all in total, until we cut to the next one, is right around 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Last episode is a little short, about 51 minutes. What if they just took those 10 minutes and put it on the last episode? Isn't that automatically a way stronger way stronger episode 9? I don't think it's a stronger ending for episode 9. Like, Jon Snow walking out of that tunnel, determined to go find and kill Mance Raider, is a pretty cool ending for last episode. Okay. Him going up to Mance Raider and being told that I've got guys coming around and you're doomed is not as cool of an ending. It does make it seem... But it makes a lot more sense. Because it does, yeah, because now we know what Mance was doing. He yes. paraded his guys and they slapped their ass cheeks and painted face blue just to see yeah. the Night's Watch unleash all they had. And he's like, fuck, this ain't a thousand dudes. That's like eight arrows. So 400, yeah, right? So 400 guys, you know, that was going to be it. So Mance does yeah. seem a little bit smarter... And the whole feint at the gate was to keep the Night's Watch preoccupied with that and not doing things like patrolling around the walls or suspecting a, uh, you know, some kind of sneak attack. Yeah. So I feel like that would have made that seem cooler. And maybe you don't end with uh, Stannis triumphant. Maybe you actually end with the uh, these these uh, his troops coming in and doing that thing. You know, the awesome pincher mover maneuver he he rolled out and then maybe stannis and stavos stannis and davos <laughs> from bravos stavos are walking through the smoke and it kind of fades to black there i don't know mm. i just feel like that that a lot of the complaints i had in last episode would have been alleviated had they brought this material in and they might have had time to do some other things in the episode it's a minor criticism because you know i don't think it would have completely saved everything but I, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if the flow would have been better if they put all that stuff in. Maybe, but I mean, that's ultimately what does it matter? People, when they're watching this, probably aren't going to like watch episode nine and then wait a week and then see episode. So you're 10. making the argument for in a binge watch longevity. Yeah, like, this you know, the, so this this only affected the seven million some people who watched and another seven million people that pirated. But not like the probably hundred million lifetime they're going to watch this thing, you know? All right. Uh, fair point. Uh, let's move on south of the wall, way south of the wall, the King's Landing, where Gregor Clegane seems like he is in bad shape. He is not oh, dead. Yeah. He, he definitely won the trial by combat. He seems like he's dying. 
Grandmaster Picel is content to just poke him with tweezers and yeah. say all yeah. is lost. Useless. Completely. Kyburn says, uh, oh yeah, old man? Well, I got some black arts uh, shit that they didn't teach you in the Citadel. <laughs> I got moves you don't know about. This is maybe the worst idea in all of Westeros. You're going to take a man who was nearly unkillable and a killing machine in life. Okay. And turn him undead. Oh, you, you think that you think I, that's where they're going, Jim? I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to make the mountain undead. Mildly interesting. Uh how in what world is that a good idea? In the world of Westeros ruled by Cersei apparently. <laughs> oh god, it's such a bad idea. So that's so the uh one thing I forgot to talk about the last scene is I think what this trailer does very effectively and what traditional trailers for Game of Thrones have not been able to do because they've been involved in cleaning up stuff you know most mm. of the stuff was cleaned up this is all about setting up next season there's a lot of tension between what happens with the night watch when they can't hold well now they can hold the wall because they got stannis backing them up but what are they going to do about the hundred thousand men you know and women and children that are camping outside the gates when winter's coming that is an interesting conundrum uh, what is is Westeros? What are the Seven Kingdoms going to look like, ruled over by Cersei, the Queen Regent? Ugh, is that a role she can survive? Is she smart? You know, is is she's done it once, but only barely. And she had Tyrion yeah. pumping the brakes on the worst of her impulses, and then her f- and also saving her ass at Blackwater, and then her Lord Father taking taking over right where sh- uh, Tyrion left off. So yeah, I, yeah. that is definitely a another dramatic thing they're setting up for next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already talked about how the, she's going to save him. It's pretty gross. Involves pumping out some pus and blood, and the process may change him somewhat, but it won't affect his strength. In fact, the way Kyburn says, it... oh. oh, no. Anytime a crazy old scientist says, <laughs> oh, no, you think that maybe, just maybe, it'll make that particular aspect better. Yeah. Yeah, That's that sounds dangerous. Very dangerous. Uh, so then we see the Cersei, uh, is with Tywin and Tywin saying, you got to marry Loras and Cersei says, no, I'm not gonna. And she's tired of hearing smug stories about the time you won. This is not going to go that way, old man. And she doesn't, it's like, it's almost like she's read the script. Uh, and, uh, to shut him up, she tells him about the truth between her and Jamie. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of that, Jim? Uh, Cersei is not a character who I typically have much sympathy for certainly that's a common sentiment you're not alone brave stand by jim jones (laughs) i I may be alone who knows uh so i was a little torn when i saw this scene of her finally standing up to her father Mm because i think it was long overdue and it's something that she needed to make happen but i felt weird kind of rooting for cersei in this scene yeah I felt the same way because I think that as awesome as Tywin is and as badass as Charles Dance has been, mm-hmm. I think we're all collectively just a little tired of his shit. And when Cersei says, please, no more smug stories about how you've won, I was like, because I, I was kind of like starting, my eyes were in mid-roll mm-hmm. when he started up about this se- story about nine-year-old Cersei. And when she cut it off, I was like a little cheered. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the <laughs> fuck? What have I, what has this show done? I'm on Cersei's side in any confrontation? I know. It was shocking to me, too. About her right to fuck her brother? I mean. Yeah. What no, the it's... hell? It's it's horrific, but I found myself rooting for her. 
this show, this show, the things we do for love. Uh, we then cut to Jamie and Cersei in the Lord Commander's chambers. Uh, Jamie is about to go off on her about her role in Tyrion's impending death. When uh, Cersei says, you know what? I choose you, Jamie. I choose you, Pikachu. <laughs> and then they choose each other all over the room from the windows to the walls. Oh, boy. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. Are you ever going to learn? She's such a manipulator. Don't get involved in that again. I understand why he does. He loves her. And now he's, you know, happy that she apparently loves him back. I just think that's not destined to to last long. So I forgot in all my excitement of the pre-show stuff we were doing, I forgot to talk about the writing directing. This was written like most are by the Double Ds. Um, and it was directed by Alex, the Queen Raper Graves. We got to talk about it. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Does this scene... Because a lot of people ask me, does this scene recontextualize the previous uh, atrocity that happened, a, a filmmaking that happened before Joffrey's dead corpse? Oh, boy. That's a tough question. Because the, I guess the control in that scene was obviously in Jamie's hands. Mm -hmm. The control in this scene is very much in Cersei's hands. I mean, as, as far as, like, recontextualizing it, I... I don't think there's any doubt that Cersei was raped back in episode four or whatever it was. Uh-huh. Is this supposed to... Are Are you saying that by her coming to Jamie now, at this point, well, and saying that she loves him, am I supposed to believe then that she loved him all along and that was not rape? I don't know. I think that it's... I mean, that's the question you're asking, right? I, no, I mean, that's kind of leading the witness. Here's my Here's my take on it. Um... I feel like that they just really fucked up in how they showed that. They meant it to be, you know, consensual, but you know, kind of like in their typical rough style. And maybe she just the way yeah, he was borderline. protesting about we might be seen. And she says, I don't care. That was an objection he made. But with his body language and the way he then proceeded to plow her on the death uh, on the table, you could see that he was totally into it. Well, it, OK, it would be very different if. Cersei had jumped on him in Joffrey's death chamber. Well, or it, it, extraordinarily different. Or what if he was in his Lord, the Lord Commander's chamber, and he had decided that he's kind of like over her at this point, and like you know he has this weird respect, uh, not weird, but he's got this deep respect for the tradition of the Knights Guard or the King's Guard, and he's like, no, we can't do this here. Uh, you know, this is inappropriate. This is not right. And Cersei just kept coming. Sure. Uh, you know, that would be an interesting scenario to have play out. I, I just feel like that they just more and more, it just seems like they fucked up and that we just have to pretend like they had consensual sex there. Or maybe the camera cut off and she, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to for me to 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 recontextualize it that far without just saying they fucked up and we just have to do a mental do-over. Yeah, maybe. I mean, isn't it also not possible that Cersei has changed her mind? Certainly, that is possible. The, the several episodes between the two. Yep. I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, there's, um, while I do think, uh, that that was unambiguously rape, uh, how rape victims react to being raped is very complicated and all over the map. Sure. And especially, especially in this fictional universe, this uh, medieval world. <laughs> especially when we're talking about rape in the context of a relationship. That too, yeah. And in this kind of extreme form of patriarchy, I can see a lot of complex emotions and uh, things going on there. So maybe, I mean, that's, that's another possible way to recontextualize that. Sure. There are, there are a lot of uh, different threads 
that you could pull on there to try to unravel this story. But I, I'm not totally sure, honestly. So anyway, let's move on across the narrow sea to Danny. See what she's up to in her throne room slash complaints department. Uh, she's got this old slave she's talking to, and he's saying, hey, this new world you're making is great for the young, but for the old, there's only fear and squalor. We're getting beat up. We're getting robbed. Uh, I, I'm too old to to do something different. I want to go back to my master. I want to be a slave again. Mm-hmm. And Danny obviously has trouble. Like, I just fought a war to keep this from happening, blah, blah, blah. It seems like that she has got this compromise that she didn't really spend a lot of thought on. Maybe she should have thought this over a little bit more about, uh, I guess, a one-year contractual slave relationship. Sure. Can you re-sign the agreement at the end of a year? And, like, when you sign this agreement, what does that mean? Can he beat the slave? Can he sell the yeah. slave to someone else? Is the contract... Is it revocable? Yeah. It's like, again, might need a, a maester or two involved in here with a little bit of uh, ink to parchment before you make this royal decree, but... Whatever. How old is Danny supposed to be? Uh, fifth, at, at this point in the books, I believe she's 15. Okay. And Barristan says nothing about maybe this is not the perfect idea. Well, there again, this sets up, uh, you know, just the last scene set up what is going to happen with uh, Jer- Jamie and Cersei kind of co-ruling the kingdom as a couple. What's that going to look like? What's it going to look like with them kind of being openly incestual? Mm-hmm. They're coming out of the incest closet. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's a bad uh, closet that, to come out of. Yeah, is that is, is that <laughs> is, what what kind of repercussions is that going to have? This is all about now Danny's taken over. She wants to rule as a queen, but it's not just worrying about goats. It's not just worrying about betrayal betrayals. There's a lot of moral conundrums that she herself has caused. Sure. Yeah. And they've been showing us this for the past several episodes. This is nothing new, right? Right. It's just the latest round of it. And and it's a, a big round. Yes. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes down. Actually, this guy, this old man who knows nothing but being a slave, mm-hmm. he was only 30 when he walked in that room, but her title went on <laughs> so long that he aged to be an old man. I mean, <laughs> can her title get any longer? We cut in halfway uh, halfway through the title, and it was still a minute and a half of title. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I think they added to uh, of the Royanar as well. Oh God, does she do this because she likes it? Does she do this because it's a custom and it's tradition? It's job security for Miss Sandy. What do you want to do? <laughs> Cut her out? Well, she's the only one who even remembers my title <laughs> at this point, so we got to keep her. Uh, and, and you know the fact she has to say that before everyone enters the room. My God. Um, <laughs> but the real. Uh, shoe other shoe drops when we have this bereaved father which you, i kind of you know i'm I, what did you think when he steps into the room with this bag of something and he's weeping where did you think this was going uh i assumed it was his child i didn't realize that the dragon had okay had torched it okay so you didn't until know you... he opened it up okay so you fi- okay um i thought oh his child's died for some reason she's gonna have to deal with another moral gotcha issue. but no it's the dragons especially the the big black one uh drogon he's yes. on the loose hanging out the black cliffs he's very you know little little batman here yeah he's the emo dragon maybe hang out at the gray cliffs or the white cliffs or the yellow cliffs do you have to hang out the black cliffs because you're the black dragon drogon yeah come on that's cliched you gonna start calling you know rolling around in the drogon mobile with your drogon <laughs> belt and drogon you know it's like come on come on add a little color to the situation 
so Danny decides, and there's great performances. I thought from this, you know, his father to be kind of, you know, bereaving his child to Danny's reaction to her dragging her CGI dragons down to the catacombs, chaining him up. Obviously very ironic because she's the mother of dragons and breaker of chains. She's also the <laughs> chainer of dragons now. Yep. Uh, what? So you weren't very moved the first time you watched this. You found it hard, I guess, to care uh, or to empathize with Danny. Any any luck on the second or subsequent watches? No, not really. I still see these dragons more as pets than children. They, right. they she walked out of fire with them, but I she doesn't care about them. She hasn't. We haven't seen her interact with them much at all. It's like we got one scene of her feeding them whatever. Yeah. Uh, and calming them down when they were fighting. But that's really it. It's interesting you say that because, yes, she's clearly a terrible dragon mother. Okay. <laughs> but fiction is full of terrible mothers that nevertheless, nevertheless love their children and regret that they're terrible mothers. And I, yet, you I, know. I just make... don't think that if Betty Draper were to send Sally to her room a and chainer? started crying. I think that's happened. I'm pretty sure she <laughs> locked her in <laughs> a fucking room at one point. So, But she didn't start, start crying, right? <laughs> So I, if she were to start crying when she I did that, I lock a child care. in a dark room. The weeping will happen at some point, you know. Yeah, I, and I'm not saying that she's as bad of a dragon mother as Betty Draper is a real mother. My God, not no. even close. She'd be nothing but charred bones at this point. <laughs> but yeah, it just didn't hit me. It didn't. It didn't scratch the right itch for me. Viserion, quit touching yourself. Slap, roar, fire. <laughs> um, Madman spoilers. So this is another plot they're setting for next season. What's Danny going to do about her dragons? What's she going to do about sure. her fucking city? How is she going to resolve the battle between her ideals and pragmatism? Yeah, she's got a lot of things that she's got to learn and figure out um, and deal with next season. Before we move on from this scene, yes. going back to her uh, throne room uh -huh. scene a little bit, I th I thought it was interesting that what Baron Barristan says once that first guy comes in, the guy who's too old to be anything but a slave, mm. uh, he tells her that the masters are when when you allow people to sign these contracts, the masters are basically going to make everyone slaves, all but in name. That's what was my point. Like, what is the fine print of this contract? Exactly. There, this will not stop at this one guy becoming a slave. The masters will find a way to create a society in which you need to sign these contracts. And right. once you've signed these contracts, you can't get out of them. And there'll be slaves in everything but name. And he's exactly right. Well, I mean, it's he, there's a lot of uh, parallels between this and, like, Reconstruction in the South. If you've got a slave labor force that's been enslaved their whole lives and they're undereducated, sure. um, it's very easy to build institutions with the rich and powerful that still are rich and powerful to kind mm -hmm. of put them back into their boxes effectively. And they and they may not even and at, want out like this guy doesn't. Right. They, they may not know that there's an alternative. And right. so that seems natural to them. Right. Um, so moving on to just south of the wall, the Night's Watch is having a big funeral pyre where they're burning uh, Grin and Pip and the rest. Stannis Camp is presiding over it, and Melisandre is looking through the flames and sees only Jon Snow. Mm, her soon-to-be murderer. <laughs> That's uh, mildly interesting. You think I hope there's going to so. be some snow-on-fire violence, eh? I really, really hope so. All right. Uh, anything else you want to comment before we get to Tormund? Who... Uh, no. 
has a paradoxical. He's he's uh, chained up, and he's got a paradoxical state uh, of worldview where the dead can't hear us say words, but they can sense what direction they're buried in That's, in relation to the wall. Like, I have that written down in my notes too. No, it's like I I buy that your culture would be like fuck the dead because they're the dead. Sure, I enjoy that philosophy. That's kind of how I, I agree roll. With that. And I like Louis C.K. It's like you know these people to say I want you to take me to Hawaii and 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 uh, scatter my ashes in the Pacific. Ocean. You're dead. I'm not doing your chores for you. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, I, yeah, I think Western burial customs are kind of weird and gross, but that's just me. Sure. You know, um, but then to have that viewpoint, but then to place this undue importance on Egret's final disposition. You got to wonder how does Egret feel about it, right? She like, doesn't maybe feel he anything knew. about it. How, how would she have felt about it if mm. you could have asked her that at that moment? What do you want us to do with your body? Maybe Tormund knows better than we do Maybe. what Egret would have wanted. From what I know of Egret, I don't think she'd care. She'd probably say yeah. something smart-ass about, you know, just don't fuck, I, don't fuck my dead corpse or I'll haunt you, Jon Snow. <laughs> I know I'm you're thinking of it here. holding that torch. <laughs> I'm definitely grasping. I'm, I'm trying to find a reason that this makes sense. Uh, and is not just a complete contradiction of what he said moments before. Someone on Facebook said they wondered if this was just to try to make a bridge between Tormund and Jon Snow, that they've got this sure. mutual respect and admiration for Egret, and that somehow this will pay off into, you know, how are you going to get, how are you going to make, um, you know, Tormund a character that's any more than a guy that's raving in the dungeons? Eventually, yeah. you have to make connections. you got to make connections between Mance and Stannis and Jon and Tormund and all these people, or you're going to have a big bloody war up there, which could happen. So maybe this is setting sure. the seeds for that. Yeah, and maybe, you know, burning her body up north is what Jon Snow wanted, and he could tell that. Yeah. And so he just gave him permission to do that, I guess. That's an interesting take, too. I like that. That's that's good. Uh, at any rate, he hoofs her up north and burns her underneath a weirwood tree. Uh, regardless, and speaking of weirwood trees, we go way up north. Uh, Jojen's on death's door. But fortunately, they're on the doorstep to the tree on the hill that they've been seeing. That's their destination. It's very Lord of the Ringy, the way it's lit and shot, and sure. uh, you know, cresting the hill and seeing the. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expect to see Hugo Weaving pop out behind the tree and start spouting some bunch of elvish <laughs> bullshit. Instead, a bunch of skeletal warriors, a bunch of undead whites, popped out of the ground to do battle. Uh, what do you what do you make of this? And not just the coolness of it, though we can talk about that. What what the hell's going on? Oh man, that's the question for the ages in this show. What the <laughs> hell is going on? Uh, who? I, so my question is, who is controlling these? Because these are not necessarily Walker type stuff, like White Walker beings, right? Like these skeletons don't have anything to do with the White Walkers, right? As far as I can tell, they're whites. I mean, that's what I assume they are because they're are they, highly but we've never flammable. Seen, we've never seen anything like them before. But I mean, I feel like we have. There's been there's been some skeletal whites that we've seen on the show before, and well, there's skeletal, been skeletal horses with rotting flesh on them. Right? These guys like, had, these guys are picked clean. These guys are just bones. There was a bit of beef jerky. There was. I I saw some jerk. Uh, I saw some uh, I, mummified I skin. I missed that. Then these these looked like. Like you said, the Argonaut type skeletons to me. There was more skeletal Army of than darkness. more skeletal than I was expecting. Um, certainly more. I did. Okay. I was, well, then if that's the case, they could be controlled by the White 
Walker Force, whatever that thing is. I was shocked that they retained this part from the books. I thought it's like as much as they've cut from the storyline that it was just, and it's like, you know, why? Why have these things popping out of the grounds? It's like they're just going to walk in and we're going to, you know, go on with our lives. Pleasantly surprised, well, I guess the only reason you would show a skeletal white and uh, versus that's W-I-G-H-T, by the way. Every year I try to say this. It's, it's their term for a ghoul or an undead corpse or a zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason you'd have a skeletal white versus a more corpsey looking white is to try to show an ancientness, right? Sure. Yeah, I can get behind that. So if we're showing an ancientness, what? why are these guys camped outside of the tree... What well, does that tell us, do you think, about sure, the, I, I, the nature of the tree and the guy in it versus the nature of the White Walkers and their disposition towards each other? I mean, the guy in it, um, you compared him to the Indiana Jones uh, goblet guard. Yeah, the last night of the uh, crusade. Yeah, I didn't know his name. I don't either. I mean, Charlemagne. He, but he was... But he Charlemagne. Was, yeah, he, he was obviously there for that. Uh, so he's obviously very old. Yeah. Uh, he's been around a while, like he says. The skeletons looking pretty old for bodies. Uh, it tells you that this is a force that has been around for a very long time, certainly. Uh, and I think old forces kind of imply powerful forces mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're not, it, it seems like this has been contained by the winter for the most part. Like it's yeah. very difficult to reach this place. Um, almost like whatever force is controlling the white walkers wants it to be hidden from everyone else. They of, can't destroy it, right. but they can guard it right. heavily. And keep, try to keep people that are seeking it away. Sure. And I mean, it's a lot of creepy stuff. Um, you know, we talked about in the instant cast, how it was cool to get, see uh brand put on the Hodor suit again and kick some ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jojen just gets pasted. That came out of nowhere. Did you have any emotional resonance with that? Uh, when he was when he got stabbed a hundred times, or when uh-huh. he got fireballed? <laughs> uh, either one. Either one. Uh, Kevin, no, absolutely zero. I felt nothing as well. Didn't care. Didn't really connect with Jojen, but uh, you know, whatever. Good on him for getting Brand to his tree. Yeah, I think he was a fine character. He was just a vehicle for for Brand. Yeah, that was all. Yeah, I I care a little bit more about Mira because I feel like she had some more stuff. I mean, she had their like rivalry with Asha, Osha. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a little bit of chemistry between her and and Bran. Um, but Jojen was just kind of like he was he was the vehicle to get Bran on this plot, and that vehicle broke down and is no longer needed. So also with the girl, you could tell that she loved her brother very much, sure. and she was doing everything to protect him, and it. There was a resonance there, but you never got that from Jojen. I will say it's a good thing the Whites were only attacking Hodor with rubber mallets. <laughs> Any one of them had knives, and it had been this battle would have been all over. Every yeah, every yeah. other White had a knife or a dagger or a sword, but these guys were just hammer at him with these ridiculously large wooden hammers. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, apparently the only two cobbler shoe cobbler Whites attack Hodor. <laughs> Speaking of the ridiculously large, okay. Uh, I like that they had Bran on a sled here, because how do you expect Hodor to carry around a 30-year-old man? <laughs> I guess that's also the guy that plays um, Hodor has got, got like a little bit of Andre the Giant Syndrome. He's got a bad back, or has he developed one over the years? Okay. So he was actually having a hard time with the scenes where he had to 
to, to uh, carry them. So they invest, invented this kind of sled litter thing to uh, take the strain off. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what do you think about the child of the forest, this little elf, elfin girl? Baking I, cookies in this tree day and night. I don't really know what to think of her. I mean, she's one of the clearest examples of pure magic, mm-hmm. I think, in this series so far. Right. I mean, she's launching fireballs from her fingers. Sure. Uh, which seemed deadly effective. I don't know why she couldn't just stay out there the entire time. Right. Destroying she's skeletons. She's just fucking with them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I I don't know. I I will tolerate her. Brad's like, really? You let my friend die? My sick, fevered friend? <laughs> you could have just fireballed everything around here. I had to make sure you were worthy, Brandon Stark. You're an asshole, child of the forest. That's what you are. Uh, yeah, no, uh, interesting. So they they make it into the tree. Uh, Saruman the Dingy welcomes them to Carcosa, <laughs> saying he's watched them with a thousand eyes and one. Uh, Brand says, are you going to help me walk? And he's like, you'll never walk again, but you will fly. What does he mean by that? Well, I mean, there's obviously the warging into birds potential. I mean, that's a literal flying. But what if he wargs into something that walks? <laughs> well, that's true. Right? And he already has. <laughs> yeah, he already he has. He just called bullshit. You're a liar, old man. <laughs> so it's... That child's an asshole and you're a liar. I'm out. <laughs> well, I'm just saying... That if you're going to assume that he meant warging, yeah. that that's that can't be true. Okay, I I mean I obviously my hands are tied about a lot of this discussion. Do you have yeah. any fire that you want to bring to this or? No, I have no idea what he meant by that. Okay, so definitely something that I will be continuing a conversation in the spoiler section about. Uh, fucking Podrick, I swear to God, we're in the veil. He's try. He's supposed to hobble the horses, and uh, he on. let the horses go. Can't can't tie figure an eight hobble. I mean, who among us can't? Not Podrick. <laughs> uh, they have to walk thirty miles to the Erie, and he has to carry all their saddlebags. Uh, Arya's practicing swords, and the hound's taking his shit. And Brienne and them square off over custody of Arya. What'd you think, Jim? Go super tense while they were kind of arguing over Arya. Right. Uh, they both get their hands on their swords. Right. At one point, somebody says something that spooks the other, and they pull their sword halfway out of the sheath. Yeah. Uh, this whole time, I was like, oh, no, because I know this can't go well if they actually fight. And I, I, these... I kind of want both of these characters to stick around. If they get in a fight, I know that one of them is done. Yeah. Because it was. It seemed like a winner-takes-all kind of fight. Yeah. And yeah. I, I – they're both one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't want to see them die. So I'm basically agreeing with you. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, <laughs> okay. A lot of people were giving the show shit for having, it's like, well, it seemed like they could have just had a few words and settled their differences. Or, mm-hmm. you know, this wouldn't have had a fight if they'd actually talked instead of just going right to combat. On the other hand, from the Hound's perspective, this looks incredibly bad. Yeah. He knows Potterick Payne is a Lannister squire. Mm-hmm. He sees that she's got Lannister armor on and Lannister gold, and she's throwing around names. Valerian Jamie. steel, and it's Valer- It's like this just looks like, and he knows the Lannisters are liars, and if they sent someone to take Arya, they probably would do something. I mean, it's even suspicious that she's this kind of warrior woman, almost like if if Tywin Lannister had handpicked a person to come and kidnap Arya without a fight, he would probably pick Brienne. She's not a Northman; she's a Southron. I don't know that there's any way she could have talked her way out of that fight. And if the shoe was on the other foot and it was the hound coming in and him being a Lannister dude, maybe 
Brienne's reasonable enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Hound is not that guy. He's not the diplomat. He's not the little finger. Certainly. No, I, and I think you said as much in the instant cast. He's the guy in the arm with the big fucking sword, and uh-huh. uh, he's not going to go the serial route. Uh, I thought this fight, and there's been increasingly epic fights. You know, Mountain and Oberon was very awesome in a kind of a showy Ray Parks. Sure. Uh, Leaping Jedi kind of way. But for just sheer realism and brutality, it's hard to top this fight. I mean, it like Seppenwall said, it's like it was watching two characters descend into barbarism. They start off upright and they're exchanging sword blows. Yeah. Then they start cha- exchanging fist blows. Then they start exchanging rocks to the head. Then they, she punches <laughs> him in the balls. He kicks her in the vagina. It's he, She throws him over a cliff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty terrible. Uh, we see him, Arya escapes in all this because again, Pod can't do one damn thing right other than apparently please women. She runs off and Brienne's trying to find her. Uh, Arya finds the hound. He's in bad shape. He looks like shit. He's got his femur sticking through his leg. Mm-hmm. Pretty bad. Uh, he asks for the gift of mercy. Um, and she doesn't give it to him. Before I talk about that, I want to ask you one question about the fight. Okay. They made a big deal last last episode, or no, the episode before, about the Hound having his flea bite. Sure. Uh, and Arya specifically saying she thinks that's slowing him down. He's not walking as fast anymore Sure. Uh, when they roll up to the Eerie. Do you think that they meant for that scene to tell us that the Hound has been diminished by this and that that's why Brienne beat him or that Brienne's just a badass? Man, that is a great question, and it's something that's off-debated in Game of Thrones forums, because every week someone <laughs> okay. someone has the brilliant idea to be like, who's the, be- who's the best swordsman in the Seven oh, Kingdoms? Oh, God. It's Jamie, clearly. Uh, it's well, been said a thousand pre, times. You gotta say, pre-both hands, Jamie. Both hands, Jamie, Because if certainly. you don't fucking say that, someone might think that the one-armed, left-handed Jamie oh, is the come best. come on. I'm, I'm just saying, this is... <laughs> I know, I This know. is nerds on the internet. They love, they love this stuff. Like a baby loves its mother's milk. Uh, so I will say it does seem like that both Martin and the showrunners have to come up with excuses for why Brienne is winning. Um, hmm. You know, Jamie has been rotting in a cell for months and both hands are tied. Yeah. And she beats Jamie. The hound has got a flea bite and he has been, you know, the Arya just said last episode that you're looking a little slow. I feel like that they kind of, uh, uh, made him up to where he's a little grander the eyes. He just taken hmm. a big shit. That takes a lot out of a man. <laughs> I feel that Brienne is a genuine badass. She sure. kicks Sir Loras's ass. Who's a more of a tourney knight. Um, but still, I, I feel like that she could, uh, kind of any given Sunday situation, take Sandor Clegane on his best day. But I think it'd be kind of like Sandor probably wins seven out of 10 times. Yeah, that feels about right. I mean, we've seen her take on three random dudes yeah. in the woods and win. Um, so I certainly believe that she's a badass. I also know that the Hound is a badass. Sure. Like, of the badasses in Westeros, he's probably number two. Right. Uh, and, right next to his brother. Right. So to say that, oh, well, I don't know if on his best day, Brienne could beat the Hound... That's not an insult to Brienne. No. She's a badass, badass not knight. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, I think they were telling us the flea bite is affecting him. And she had better armor. She had better arms. Valerian steel. Although apparently, uh, you can just grab one of those things. Uh, I guess, yeah. And, and a very strong person won't be able to pull it out of your grip. I mean, that's going. My, like I said on Facebook, my balls retract just thinking about grabbing a blade <laughs> so hard that your bones are biting into it. Yeah. Ah. Uh, he robbed uh, Reuter, um, but no, I, I feel like that she could, I don't, I, I feel like she could stand toe to toe with anyone on their b- best days. I just don't know that I would necessarily bet on her to win. Yeah. I think it'd be a close fight. Yeah. So. And this was a close fight. And the other thing is, injured, so. you also got to throw in that she's a little hung up on the fair. She's a little John Snowy. She's a little hung up on what a true knight does or doesn't do, yeah. where I think. Standor doesn't, you know, obviously give a shit. A true knight doesn't kick you in the vagoo, that's for that's, sure. <laughs> that's right. Uh, which is which would you rather take? A fist oh. to the balls or a full-on soccer-style kick to the vagoo? <laughs> it's impossible for me to answer that. Uh, all I have are the balls, and I know how bad that hurts. I'm just saying this. Taking a kick right to, to pubic bone, let alone to your whole... sure labia clitoral assembly that's that can't feel good your undercarriage like i'm just thinking that like if someone took the head of my cock and like cradled in their hands and just punched it savagely i would not be in favor of that let alone kicking it like pinned against the wall or something no. that's not the part you really worry about it's the the testes that's what you got to watch out i'm just for. saying it wouldn't the other one wouldn't feel good either it wouldn't feel good no, no it would not no uh shall we move on Let, please yes let's talk about aria yeah aria not showing any mercy that's uh, there. I mean, what does that say about the relationship? Is that an interesting topic to talk about? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I mean, we we brushed up against this on the instant cast for sure. Um, where I it basically just kind of said she did. She paid him back for his misdeeds against the farmer, against everyone she's seen. She doesn't think this guy is a good guy who's deserving of mercy. If this, if if the hound had spared the farmer. Do you think this goes down differently? Is there anything that I he think could maybe have done to atone for the butcher boy? Because I just feel like that is a bridge too far for Arya. Mm. That she was never yeah. going to forgive. And yes, you know, maybe he was drunk all the time and he was full of self pity and all this and that. But still, he rode down her best friend who was a child. Yeah, and when you combine that with his callous view of the farmer, I think that's the one-two punch that kind of knocks out any mercy that she would have given him. No, because. Uh, she just wanted to kill him, right? Sure. When, when he rode down the butcher's boy. That's fine. I think maybe after having rode with him this entire time and heard his story and he is kind of protecting her, I think maybe she would have shown him mercy. But the fact that he didn't show any when in the same situation is just too much for her. Sure, sure. Uh, so the Hound didn't actually see him die, Jim. Oh, come on. If he... He, they've established that he's 10 miles from the Erie, right? What if there was, in fact, a maester hiding behind that rock? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, if that's the case, he's probably going to come back undead like his brother. Mm, interesting. The undead white, uh, Cleganes. The white Clegane brothers. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on. You weren't seriously asking me that question, right? That's it's a mildly interesting oh question. Oh my god! It's a mildly interesting question. That's all I'm going to say. I will be offended if they do that. I mean, this is the same reason. Like people still to this day debate whether Serial Pharrell actually died because we didn't see him die. But he's in King's Landing, and he could run down a passageway. We didn't this see his guy... bone sticking out of his eye socket. 
right? He and this guy is a vicious blow to the testes. He's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. He's in the countryside. If someone just happens to be there, happens to be able to patch up his leg, I, I don't buy it. I could not buy that. It's almost every professional reviewer that I read mentioned the fact that we didn't see him die. Come on. I just think it's funny how adamant you are that he is dead. <laughs> He's got to be dead. Let's move on. Jamie rescues Tyrion from the black cells with the help of Varys, we find out. He's supposed to go to Lockdoor and give it a secret knocky-knock, mm. which then Varys will help him get out, but makes a pit stop to the Tower of the Hand first. Jim, this basically is the final scene. No, there's one more with Arya. Arguably the most important. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Which part of it? Um, go First of all, did you have a problem, because I know some people did, with Tyrion's voyage to the Tower of the Hand? Do you... I feel like the show did a good enough job showing that Varys has these secret ways to get around everywhere, and there's this tunnel system that you know Tyrion had passing familiarity with since he already was hmm. the Hand himself, yeah. and that he's a smart guy, and he could figure out that, oh, this way goes that way, but this way that keeps going up and up might go here. Um, did you have a problem with the fact that he was able to find his way to his father's chambers from the Black Cells? Uh, I guess I didn't realize that he was doing that in any kind of, like, using tunnels or anything like that. I thought he just, you know, knew got his lost. Way. No, not got lost. I knew he was doing it with a purpose. Oh. Uh, but I didn't realize that he had used some kind of back-channel tunnels. That's clearly not. I mean, unless those are secret tunnels, it would be ridiculous that the black cells would directly connect that way to the bedroom of the Hand of the Kid. You, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I didn't realize. I mean, that this at the is time. like the, like we talk joke about watching twenty four, like the the laundry chute that goes directly yeah, to yeah. the secure data center. Mm -hmm. I mean, where <laughs> we get we, where we house our most dangerous convicted felons that we're either going to kill or send to the wall. <laughs> can we get a tunnel that will lead right to the bedroom of the second most important person in all of Westeros? I guess I assumed that his journey was much longer than sure. it was. I assumed it took, like, they just cut five yeah. minutes, ten minutes out of this journey. God bless him for doing that. Um, so I didn't even realize he was in tunnels. Okay. But, I mean, sure. I mean, You said that, I, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but in the books he is much more, they make a, a point that he is very familiar with these tunnels. Yeah, in the books that, um, in the books, Shay doesn't just hang out in his bedroom all the time. She's actually out at this other location, this mansion that mm -hmm. he's holed her up in. And that he uses these tunnels that uh, a lot of... There's this character, I think it's Aegon the Unworthy, who's this kind of like uh, notorious whoring drunkard king. And they kind of intimate that he and uh, had some of these tunnels installed so he could get to places without being seen. Um, and that Varys has made use of these tunnels to, you know, get from here. You know, that's how he visited Ned Stark in a cell in secret. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that Varys had introduced him a little bit to, you know, that so he could smuggle Shay in and out of his bedroom. Again, okay. how the hell could that possibly be a spoiler? If in, uh, in seventh sure. season, Shay comes back from the dead and murders <laughs> someone else, then you can say, fuck you, Aaron. Yeah. But, uh, or Aaron. Well, speaking of spoilers. Uh, so... Yeah, but I just so in my mind it didn't even come up as concern until I started seeing people say mm. bullshit. But that's kind of like as a book reader, just kind of filled that out. I just want to know as a show watcher, it didn't seem like you had a problem with it. No, I didn't even notice it honestly. Yeah, and he's former former resident of the Tower of the Hand. You would think that he would know how to get there from the cells. Blah blah blah. Sure. 
Um, him killing Shay. Is this a justified killing? I think so. How did so. you feel about it? Because a lot of people were worried. Uh, they made some structural changes to the character of Shay to make her broadly more sympathetic from the show to the books. A lot of people were wondering, man, when, when Tyrion ends up killing her, is this going to seem like a, you know, it's going to put viewers off. Didn't she, really get a problem with that either. She was not that sympathetic, in my opinion. <laughs> um, she did not understand the danger she was in when Tyrion was trying to send her away. She didn't understand why Tyrion ultimately had to resort to sending her away the way he did. She then turned on him completely in the trial, uh, sure. lied about everything, basically sentenced him to death, and now she's sleeping with his father. That, to me, adds up to being strangled on the edge of your bed. Does that... Okay. <laughs> All right. That's an interesting point of view. In, in Westeros okay. terms. All right. Yeah, All I, right. I will qualify that. All right. Uh, uh, let's... Do you buy that Shay? Because some people call bullshit on the fact that Shay jumped in Tyrion's... Uh, sorry, Tywin's bed... That if she was so in love with Tyrion and hurt that that seems an odd move for her to make. What do you think about that? I kind of agree with that, and I think that she might have been pressured into it, honestly, uh, by, by the dancer. I feel like it's within her character as a survivor. This is the woman who was going to single-handedly hmm, okay. protect her and Sansa from the hordes of Stannis Baratheon coming in with a dagger. I feel like, and she's the one that's clawed herself up from her station as a whore. Now she's made it all the way to King's Landing. Sure. I feel like... Once she got over the Tyrion thing and betrayed him and did it with malice aforethought. Sure. That I totally buy her appealing to Tywin and trying to keep climbing up that ladder of chaos. Yeah. I mean, Tyrion was no longer a rung in that ladder. No. And it's his own doing. Because you said it's unsympathetic. I kind of disagree. I don't find her sympathetic because I don't like her character and I don't like the actors <laughs> portraying her. Yeah. However, uh, and yes, she was ignorant to the dangers she was uh, naive to the dangers but that was it's not like that was a calculated move she literally didn't understand it so it was a slap in the face when Tyrion rejected her yeah but Tyrion tried to explain it to her and multiple times well but again I don't know I don't think that affects her sympathy I just think it affects yeah that part doesn't but once she it's a tra him... it's it's a tragic it's a tragic misunderstanding or tragic misalignment of of uh risk assessments yeah I guess so uh so he then takes the crossbow off the wall. I believe it's the same crossbow that uh, is. that uh, Joffrey was always using yeah. to do his dirty deeds with, and the loader. And he interrogates Tywin on the crapper with his crossbow. One thing I thought interesting, that at no time, even after the first crossbow bolt was in him, that I think that Tywin saw Tyrion seriously as a threat. Mm -hmm. The fact that you, my son, that I've despised my whole life, are going to actually threaten me. This is just, no, I'm going to be able to talk my way out of this, and you're not going to be able to pull that trigger. So I had a minor problem with this scene. Okay, bring it. Um, Tywin, you're right. I don't think believed that Tyrion was actually going to shoot and kill him. Several times, like four, maybe five times, Tywin gets ready to stand up and then is back down by a twitch or a lunge from Tyrion without even wiping. Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll let that slide. Gonna waddle his, back to your chambers. mortal danger. Uh, but, but my point is he does to some degree, believe it. Otherwise he would just stand up and start talking, uh, 
start talking at Tyrion like he always does. Mm, okay. On some level, he was threatened by that crossbow to the point where he wouldn't even stand up. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. Multiple I, times. I mean, they did it four or five no, times. No, no, no. I, I see. But I, I feel like uh, that's kind of, um, that was him, uh, you know, just kind of placating or appeasing him going on. But I, I, dis, I still didn't think he really thought he would shoot him. But yeah, the, the, yeah. Obviously, but, but if he why... lunged at him, made a sudden movement, maybe. But if he just kept talking with him and like, you know, started appealing to like, look, this is this is shameful. Let's talk like men. That he would be able to do what Tywin always does, which is, you know, well, this win. whole episode, Tywin lost control of everything. And lost think about... control of his daughter, his son, uh, both sons. And I think that's going to be interesting when I go when people later go back and kind of like marathon this or mm-hmm. binge watch it is. That Lannisters were at yeah. here, you know, cackling over the corpse of Ned Stark's family and melting down his family heirlooms and forging their own swords. And yeah. little by little, everything went away till now. You know, you say little by little, but I think in this episode, like, okay, yeah, they lost Joffrey. And that was a huge blow. Uh, although it may have been better in the long term if these guys had survived. Uh, I think that Tywin... When he lost control this episode, it just fell apart like a house of cards. Well, no, Tywin like, is... He, was, he went from being in absolute control with an iron fist to being dead in right. the span of an episode. Like, he he pissed off the wrong person. He pissed off Cersei, who chain-reacted that to Jaime, right. uh, who then went and freed Tyrion, and Tyrion killed him. Like, in a day, this happened. I did. I somewhat disagree, just because of the state the finances were in, and the debt to the crown, the debt to Lannisters, I'm, the fact sure. that the Tyrells were probably only putting up with their crap because they're ignorant of how what a weakened position the Tywin had some very deft handling to do to stay on top and to keep Westeros. But he was doing it so well on like, on on a right path. Take Tywin out of the picture. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not way hard worse. to think that Westeros is. Fuck. And you're taking Tyrion out of the picture too. The two, yes. the two smartest guys in this kingdom are now gone. So now uh, he kills him. He goes this uh, as the reigns of Castamere play out for maybe the last time, although I doubt it. <laughs> uh, Varys says, "What have you done?" He packs him away in a crate, similar to what he uh, did to his old magician friend. Uh, oversees him being loaded into the belt uh, boat. He starts to walk back to the Red Keep, and he hears the bells tolling, and he's like. Oh boy. And gets on the boat with Tyrion <laughs> and they go off to parts unknown. Yeah. I like that the the people packing up the boat don't react to those bells at all. You're assuming he... where where are you assuming they're going? Uh I I honestly don't know. You, okay. I hadn't even thought about it. Okay, well then I won't ask the question. I, I just know that he needs to get out of there and that's right. where he's going. It seems like everyone that goes anywhere is going to Essos. <laughs> okay, which is the continent where Danny's at. Sure. It's the continent where Bravos is at. It's mm. the con- continent where Arya is going at. This is the other interesting thing. They're setting these characters, Varys, Tyrion, Arya, in a potential collision course with these other interesting characters. For the first time, I mean, Danny's had the self-contained story. Do you think that there's a chance that these these people's paths will intersect? Uh, or are they going to split hmm. this into even more locations and characters? I suppose it's possible. Um, I, I don't know how much of a hub Bravos is. Like, it doesn't seem to be super welcoming. Uh, it's. It, I know it's kind of like they, they make a lot of money uh, being bankers and traders and 
Well, sure, Essos is like a that. big place, and you got all the slave empire going. You got the seven free cities. They're all you know roughly equal in power in different ways. So there's a lot of you know we we saw Pintos was one of those free cities. That's where hmm. we met Danny. Um, and that's, uh, um, uh, apparently, you know, in the very, if you remember in the very first episode or the very first season that Varys and Ilio, who was the person who's kind of the guardian of Danny and her brother, uh, were doing a lot of meeting and talking in the dungeons of the Red Keep that Arya overheard. Hmm. Um, okay. they were doing a lot of talking about, you know, the time being ripe and all this plotting and planning. Uh, again, this isn't a spoiler. This is just what's, what's happened. Mm-hmm. I wonder if if uh, if Varys is going somewhere if they're going to you know get back together get the band back together if we're going to see some fruition yeah. to plans yeah we could uh i don't know where arya fits into all that but those characters could certainly meet up okay final scene we had arya bounce up to a bravosi boat captain flip him an iron corn say valor morgulus valor morgulus and uh upgraded the first class cabin to Bravos. Yeah. Sure. What is did you remember the significance of this scene from season two? The finale of season two. It's been two full years since we've had the payoff to this. Yeah. I mean they showed it before if you were watching live, they show it before the episode. Oh right. The uh last on or previously on. Yeah. So of course I remembered it because they showed it to me. He um Mentioned so so I went back and rewatched that scene, and this was in the larger context as people's like, well, you know, what's in Bravos? What's going on? Him giving her that coin and giving her that instructions that hey, if you meet anyone from Bravos, give him this coin, uh, and you will find me again. Was in the larger context of her becoming a faceless man, which we understand is this uh, order of assassins that can change their appearance somehow magically. Uh, they're almost supernaturally good at killing. This is an interesting development for Arya to be going on, is it not? I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? Well, I mean, just uh, are you interested in seeing Arya perhaps become a faceless man? Sure. Uh, I think she's been headed that way for a long time, and that makes sense for her character to go that way. Like he said, Jack and Hagar said way back in the end of season two, you a girl has many names on her list, and as a faceless man, she could notch those off one by one. Mm-hmm. Something, yeah, a star kicking some ass is something I'm very interested in seeing <laughs> myself. There are, is really only one left who can, so I don't think Sansa's going to kick any ass anytime soon. That's about it. I'm going to reinstate the kill of the week. I forgot to do it last week. Uh, there's a lot of good choices. What would you, if we had to go back and give it uh, last week, I, I think the giant pinging the guy off the wall uh with his arrow would probably be the kill of the week for me. Oh, for last week? Yeah, yeah. Never seen a giant fire and arrow into a dude <laughs> that fell 450 feet and smacked right in the middle of a cro- uh, uh, courtyard before. Yeah, that was sweet. Uh, this week, just for impact alone, I have to go with Tywin Lannister on the privy. Yeah. Uh, it's it's either a Tywin or the Hound if he's dead. Uh, yeah, but you're right. Tywin has a huge impact on the Empire. Did you, I mean, where, did you see this coming? I mean, was this on your radar? No, it wasn't. I, I assumed I, I guess that Tyrion was going to get out. All the shocking moments. Um, so did you think that Tyrion was in mortal danger? Absolutely, yes. Okay, good. That's, that's always good to hear. But you didn't <laughs> see the thing with Tywin. I mean, did you think? I that didn't. Ty- obviously, I think no one could see that Tywin and Tyrion would would go out like that but did you 
kind of have a hint that maybe Tywin's storyline was drawing to a close or there was a threat of that. No, no, I, I felt that he needed to be there to keep uh, King's Landing and the Empire uh, under control. But I guess that makes sense then. Let's throw a little chaos in the mix and let's sure. kill this guy who's the only thing keeping it under wraps. I feel like overall the Game of Thrones community that is into the spoilers did a much better job of preserving the surprises for the non-readers this season and last. That they had this kind of orgy of red wedding bullshit oh, and the reaction videos and all that and then everybody woke up the next day like a you know the really bad hangover and looking at all the solo cups everywhere and like man what did we do uh yeah. and sobered up this season i hope i hope that this rage that they're feeling about a lot of the changes that that the that and liberties that the double d's have taken the source material does not re-kindle uh, that asshole candle uh, you know it's very easy to ignore all this stuff. How? Don't go on the Game of Thrones subreddit. Man, that's Don't. not no. I mean, you have to avoid Reddit, Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, it's it's real if if someone if it yeah, gets out I, there in the popular culture, it's impossible unless you just don't get on the internet. I guess if your friends are assholes, avoid Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Everyone's got one asshole friend. Okay. Everyone. Probably so, yeah. So I, uh, you know, I'm just saying that I just I was very proud of the community and I hope it I hope it keeps going uh, to next season as well. This podcast is proud to be sponsored by Hover.com. Jim, what can we say about Hover that we haven't said already? Oh, I, I think we've said it all. Hey, I Ron. mean, lightning fast support. No uh, hold support. No hold support. You call yeah. them, you will talk to a real person. No transfer, no weird menu system, just halo, this is hover, how the hell can we help you? Included security. They don't say hell, they don't swear. They might, I don't know, I've never called them. If you want, you can ask, that's an <laughs> optional service, you can ask for the swearing option, and it's, it's, it's yep. tell them you want the bald move treatment. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, they will... That, that's not what you want. <laughs> but the fact is, no matter what your experience level, if you've got an idea for a website and you want to get a domain name, because that's the first step in getting your idea onto the internet, never search for one before. They make it easy. They got an easy way to search. They got all these custom domain names. Um, they got easy to use features. If you're a professional and you want to transfer, they make it easy. They got a valet service where it's like all this hassle. You got to unlock your domain <laughs> and you got to get the code from your registrar and they try to, yeah. it's, it's almost like they try to make it hard to transfer to someone better like hover uh -huh. because it's a trap. Hover doesn't believe in that crap and they got the valet service. They'll hold your hand and help you through all that with a real live person. Uh, it's pretty fantastic for a very low price. You get a domain with everything built in, no extra crap that they try to spring on you at the checkout. Yeah, that's what I really like. You get it's a like... you get email forwarding service. So if you just want to use it to have a snazzy custom email, you can do it that way. Uh, we really liked working with Hover. It, they made it very easy for us mm -hmm. uh, to do the stuff that we wanted to do with them. And uh, again, we couldn't be prouder that they chose to sponsor our season. And the best part of it is if you use our special promo code CHILDREN when you check out, you will get a 10% discount on everything in that particular shopping session. So buy it all. Go there and load up. Buy all use that the domain discount. names. <laughs> Step one, buy yep. all the domain names left on the internet. 
<laughs> step two, question mark, question mark, question mark. Step three, enjoy Hover's fantastic interface and support. Step four, profit. Sure. I think we've cracked the code. We've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Um, go to Hover.com and use that promo code children now. Uh, we've got a lot of other stuff that's going on. There's a Breaking Bad Fest. I don't know if you heard this. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash breaking bad fest, you can get all the information about it and get to their Kickstarter. It's up to you. If you as fans would like to see a breaking bad fan fest going down into Albuquerque, if you'd like to meet guys like Steven Michael Cazeta, uh, and other cast members, if you'd like to have a VIP party with them at the same location, same swanky location that they had the breaking bad rap party. If you'd like to hear a panel, uh, several, uh, panels hosted by yours truly and Jim Jones over here, if you'd like to see a costume and participate in a costume contest, if you'd like to tour the actual locations where Breaking Bad was filmed and see all the trademark landmarks or landmark trademarks, whatever, <laughs> if you want to see that happen, it's up to you, the fan, to do it and support the Kickstarter. There's 24 days left. You can actually get tickets and VIP passes and other uh, cool perks. But if, uh, if the fans don't support it, it won't happen. Sure. So we want to throw our support behind it because we think it's a cool idea and uh, we think it can happen if the fans support it and uh, encourage you all to check out, again, facebook.com slash Breaking Bad Fest. We also have a bunch of new merch that we introduced and we have done our typical shitty bald move job of pimping it. <laughs> uh, we've got a, a Ari and the Hound t-shirt, very poignant after this week. It's a Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones mashup, Los Poyos Morgulus, something I... Uh, sketched up on my Microsoft Surface, which we I'm, I'm not pimping. I don't even know why I mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know Something why Something I do drew that. digitally. I record on my MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I, we got a new T-shirt design. Jim had a wild hair to come up. If you're dressing up as dead <laughs> Joffrey this Halloween sure. or at a con, and we've seen a couple people doing that. They're walking around with the pile of makeup and the mm-hmm. thing. What they're missing, though, is the stones on the eyes. It's tough to glue stones to your eyes. And if you're walking around, you can't see, and they fall off all the time. Yeah. Jim had the awesome idea of let's make sunglasses with that pattern printed on it. Sure. And let's make them in gold. And for the Lannister gold. He embezzled bald move funds to produce these things and make it happen. And I woke <laughs> up one day and I'm like, well, shit, I guess we got to sell them now. You can get access to all that stuff at baldmove.com slash got merch, G-O-T merch, like got milk, only with merch. Uh, check that stuff out. Other ways to support us include subbable.com slash baldmove. You know, you've, you've, you've heard it a million times by now. You know how it works out. Uh, if you've enjoyed our expanded coverage of Game of Thrones and us getting Matt a little bit earlier and us being even more comprehensive and doing the instant cast, the only reason we're able to do that, people, is because you guys support us. So go to that. Find out how you can support us. You can also do it easily through Amazon.BaldMove.com. If you're shopping on Amazon and you're not using that link, it's it's not just that you're not stealing money from Jeff Bezos. You're stealing money from us, and that's what really hurts. That's what really hurts. <laughs> It hurts deep down. It feels like I got punched. It feels like I got kicked by a steel boot <laughs> right in my vagina. And, and and you don't want to do that to me, right? Use Amazon.BaldMove.com for all your Amazon shopping needs. Finally, if you can't bring yourself to do either of those things, 30 seconds of your time, rate and review us on iTunes. We'll call it good. All right, I think we're ready for feedback, Jim. Sounds good. Up front, Takel did not let me down. He's got the name game for the children. Number one, the dragons and the burned child. Amazingly, he used one bullet point 
to notch off two names. He could okay. easily been one of the dragons uh-huh. to the burn child. In fact, I'm going to give you that. That's two points. Solid? <laughs> sure. All right. Referencing Jon Snow as Ned's child, number three. Shaky right. has his bastard. You do realize that every person in this series is a child of someone, right? Oh, my God. How many bullet <laughs> points would that be? What's the population like of Westeros? There, well, there's at least 100,000 at the wall. Uh, I feel like it's about a million lower than it was four years ago. <laughs> I don't think we have time to run down all the children in this show. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll keep it to the high points. Number four, reminder of Brienne's oath to protect Catelyn's children. Okay. That's getting shakier, but still solid. Revelation of Cersei's children face-to-face with Tywin. For sure. And those are Tywin's children as well. All of them. Yeah. yeah. They all rebelled this episode. Tywin dies. Number six point tywin dies embarrassingly at the hands of his child uh yep definitely kind of part of the three children rebelling thing sure well but this was the cersei's children the reveal of them being bastards okay the reveal to tywin i guess which (laughs) not the reveal to us (laughs) we didn't talk about that Mm -hmm. um i feel like i spaced it did you buy his what did you make of him rejecting Cersei's truth that she was trying to tell. Was that is that a case of willful ignorance? Yes. Uh, and, and she says that you know it's true, and I think he knows it's true, but he refuses to acknowledge it because of what it would mean for the most important thing to him, which is his legacy. Hmm. What, what would it hurt for him to acknowledge that? It means he has no legacy, right? Well, what I'm saying is, but it doesn't matter what, I mean... I mean, I guess those... Do you think that Tywin's Those shit are is all... his children. Do, do you think it, it, it's it's his shit is all tied up in the legitimacy? I mean, he buys into a little bit of this nobility and honor crap. Oh, as far as who should succeed him? I'm and, just saying that, yeah. I mean, just this is not right? Yeah, like the, his sense of propriety is wounded. I think it certainly would. I mean, if his kids had had kids together, that's certainly something that Westeros looks down on, um, and he couldn't have, you know, he couldn't hold his head as high as he does now if that were the case. Well, I would openly wonder what Tywin would do if he would accept this fact, except for we have a feedback later asking us to speculate on that, so we'll just wait, give credit where credit's due. Okay. Uh, point the seventh and final, the children of the forest reveal. Sure. Your favorite, my favorite, everyone's favorite. Mm-hmm. Some elfin goodness <laughs> to see us in the next season. Uh, Tiffany M says, I just read the HBO had submitted their Emmy nominations for writing. They'd submitted only the season finale children. I was a little disappointed that maybe Mockingbird wasn't submitted, mainly for that great Oberyn Tyrion scene. However, no love for Michelle McLaren for directing. Looks like Alex Sakharov, Neil Marshall, and consensual by the end, Alex, the Queen Raper Graves. What's the deal? I thought Oathkeeper and First of His Name by Michelle definitely stands up to Watchers on the Wall and the Bletch-inducing Breaker of Chains. What do you think? Uh, we're big fans of Michelle McLaren, right? Back from her Breaking Bad days. Sure. She directed the best episode of The Walking Dead last season, which perhaps daming her with faint praise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Oathkeeper was okay. She really got to kind of flex a little bit of uh, her muscles in uh, first of his name when she had the big fight at Craster's Keep. I don't think you can objectively say they're the strongest episodes of the season. No, I wouldn't say so. You know, not when you've got Mockingbird and the uh, Viper in the Mountain. So, yeah, maybe she got screwed a little bit. But honestly, you could you could nominate all of these guys except for maybe Alex Graves because 
uh, of a total failure of filmmaking. Um, but I, you know, the people directing Game of Thrones are like the elite. So yeah, I, I find it a weird choice to submit. Did she say that they submitted the children for yeah. writing? Yeah, for writing. Yeah, that okay. It's a good way to piss the book readers off even more when they find that out. <laughs> oh, so the more you deviate from Martin's Holy Grail, the more... The better it is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the writing has been particularly sharp. Again, I think, you know, spoiler alert for next se- uh, next uh, podcast, but I think this has been the best season of all as far as the pacing and the build-up and having really epic moments. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to single out. I mean, how do you single out one particular episode for the writing? Yeah, that's really tough. I, I would certainly not give it to this episode. I would say maybe mountain and the Viper, um, maybe the episode before it with, and, and, although I don't know, that's, that's more of a Peter Dinklage performance thing. And then the thing is, is that stuff that's adapted screenplay stuff right out of the books. So I wonder if okay. they consciously chose something that they had more of a hand in. Yeah, that could be as a, a weird respect for Martin. Or just saying, well, the the Academy's going to know that we kind of just ripped this right out of a book. It's not really our writing. <laughs> I'm not super impressed with the Emmy uh, nomination process. Yeah. Heather Kissed by Fire said, I just read an article that shows HBO submissions for Emmy nominations has what? Peter Dinklage up for Best Supporting Actor in a Show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when G.O.T. comes on, his face, his name is first because he is the lead He's the best actor in HBO's most popular huh. show. Why isn't he up for best actor in a leading role? I did some research, and there's no rhyme or reason. It's basically whoever has Emmy ballots. And the f- I, I, it ju- I just realized that Alan Seppenwall does not have an Emmy ballot because he writes a series of stuff said, if I had an Emmy ballot, and he, he, he kind of says what he would nominate for each role. Mm-hmm. So there's strike one against the Emmys. Long-standing grudge. Strike two is that it's never, never appropriately gave the wire any love. I, I, and and from my research, it's just basically depends on what people decide to submit and also what people decide to nominate. So they can do like you know for Oscars and Emmys, I guess they can nominate for certain positions or some strategy on that. But arguably, who is the lead actor in Game of Thrones? It's an ensemble piece. Yeah, and if they're going for lead actor, he's going to go into the buzzsaw. That is Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. So there might be some strategy there. Sure. I definitely think there could. I'm I'm kind of of the opinion. Did they submit anybody for best lead? I don't Male think or so. female? I don't know how to Because I don't think there attention. is a lead. I haven't paid like any attention said. to that. So okay. um, it's out there and available. It's just I, I kind of washed my hand at the Emmys a couple years ago. <laughs> uh, maybe we should live commentary. The Emmys. You know, that would be fun to do that or the Oscars, especially like last year. I paid a lot of attention. I saw all the Oscar, big Oscar contenders and made a point of it. It would be fun to get liquored up and and do like a live Oscar telecast. Yeah, that would be tons of catty as shit. (laughs) Uh, Our old buddy Staffa from Out of Continues, one of the original members of the Bald Move Network that then kind of went his own way. Check out his podcast, Google Out of Continues. I don't have the URL. It might be out of continues.com. It is. There you go. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Some quality pimping there. He said, I predict Stannis and Davos are both going to die horrible deaths very soon. No one in the world of Game of Thrones rides in and saves a day like a boss without dying shortly after. Do you mm. buy his his rule of reverse karma? Yeah, I like Westeros? the reasoning. I like it. It's solid George R.R. R. Martin reasoning seems seems solid i think you're just mad because 
of your relationship with Stannis via the Battles of Westeros board game. Yeah, he's he's a bastard. When he throws up the teeth of the stag, there's nothing you can do about <laughs> it, man. Uh, Sir Duncan, on the instant cast for the children, you were discussing uh, numbers and such for the Battle at the Wall, and I was wondering, does Stannis have his mercenaries yet? We know he got Salador back, but does that mean he has hired more soldiers yet? I'm guessing that the supply of sellsword com- companies and Bravos is somewhat depleted with all the conflict in Westeros and Essos at the moment, and Stannis doesn't exactly have time to just go out to dis- dis- the disputed lands and hire some company. Do you think it might be more likely that he just left someone behind to go and hire sellswords and took enough ships to carry them back to Westeros while he took his 4,000 men to save the wall? Now, before you say, whoa, whoa, 4,000 men against 100,000, uh, no way. I'm going to point that those 100,000 wildlings probably aren't all fighting men. We saw the camp filled with women, children, and elderly and the injured. This was less than an invasion and more of a migration. Going off some book knowledge, there's somewhere between forty and 50,000 actual warriors, and those warriors don't have steel but bone, stone, and a few iron weapons. Then you have to add the fact that wildlings would break pretty easily. We talked about that last part on the podcast. 4,000 against 50,000 bone armed stone uh bronze age warriors who you take in that fight uh are the cavalry men armored up what you saw them because i i don't remember that's my question they're wearing cellophane wrappers well it looked like they had meat it looked like they had like breastplates and greaves and you know all right if they got something that can stop a bone from piercing them or a rock from causing much damage sure sure the 4,000 are going to swarm the 50, and they're going to win. Uh, Sir, Lor- Sir-, Sir Loris heard you talking about bones piercing, and he came riding <laughs> riding up all the way for King's Landing. Did I miss it? Uh, <laughs> moving on to Hef, uh, I think Jojen seeing his own hand on fire when Mira asked, how will we know the end, which is 39 minutes, 53 seconds in on episode 5 of H- on HBO Go, was his vision of his own death. He also answers, you'll know instead of we'll know, which could be a subtle hint. Hmm of telling Mira his death will be their sign. Uh, the fire is reflected in his eyes, much as the ch- child's fireball was seconds before it obliterated his body. Strong point. At the time, I you know, I was trying to play it neutral, and I also knew that in the books, Jojen didn't die. He's still alive. Yet hmm. another one of these instances of the show going its own way. Wow. So I was like, nah, you know, I don't know. It could just be, you know, whatever. But it does seem like it was a death dream. A waking death dream. Sure, yeah, and I like the the idea that he sees the fire both times, right before he uh, envisions it, and right before it happens. Yeah, I think he was dead. I think he was dead the second time. Surely, like getting stabbed and got twelve times, and your sister cutting your throat. I guess. Yeah, it, I mean, it still takes a second or two for you to die. Really? He got fireballed pretty quick. God, that's gruesome. <laughs> uh, good, good call though, Hef. Hot cow pie said. Ooh, that's that's gross. How did Arya and the Hound leave the Eyrie? Or why did Arya and the Hound leave the Eyrie? So what if Lysa had died? Robin's still related to Arya, and Arya has revealed herself as a Stark. Wouldn't it be protocol to report to the higher-ups when someone shows up at the castle gate? Are we to believe that the guards were completely oblivious to the name of the royal family of the North? Any plausible scenario I can imagine would have resulted in Arya and the Hound either taken in or captured. Even if Littlefinger, Robin, and Sansa were all the way on their tour of the Vale... Then whomever was left in charge would have not just sent Ned Stark's daughter away to shit in the rocks. Can I ask, assuming it doesn't prompt spoilers, if this is better explained in the book? <laughs> this never happens in the book. 
so Arya and the Hound never went to the Vale, and they certainly never went to the Bloody Gates, and they certainly never had a laughing fit at it. What I, I've got a theory, but I want to see what you thought first. Which means the Hound certainly never dies the way he dies. Like that's how can they change well, so much of it? That's and expect to come back around to it. Well, not, that's what a lot of weeping and gnashing is going on at uh, slash R slash Game of Thrones and hmm. ASOAF at the moment. <laughs> sure, I have no investment in it, so. Like, A-S-O-I-A-F. Can, you have no investment out, in it. No, but. it can turn out however it wants because I don't know any better. Sure. I think... Here, so here's my headcanon, all right? The captain of the Bloody Gates is watching this unfold, and they, this guy says, yeah, I'm the Hound, and this is Arya. Oh, Liza's dead, and, and this person is supposed to be Arya. This little girl just cracks up laughing. He's thinking this is a big mummer's farce, and this is a bunch of bullshit scam artists, and he chases them away. Hmm. I mean, interesting. Okay. Because what possible reason would there be for her to have that reaction? I mean, we know. Yeah, yeah. But looking as some kind of uh, bureaucratic functionary, he's like, "Get the fuck out of here with this." Sure. Arya Stark, my ass. I could definitely see that. Uh, I also assumed that the Hound just didn't care to go in after that. He's like. Yeah, Robin's not going to help me. I think Hot Cow, hot cow Pie here was more like, why would these guys let them go? Hmm. There's this dude okay. trying to ransom Arya Stark. If they really believed it was Arya Stark, they might not let him get away with that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's my headcanon. There's nothing in the books to say I'm wrong, so suck it. Uh, Nathan P. said, Brandon Hound is great. It was a nice reminder that not everyone in Westeros is all-knowing and all-seeing. And that most likely in the future of the series, we're going to have many battles between friends and characters we've grown to care about. Instead of the normal morally black and white sides of fighting. That's a good point. And I liked what Seppenwall said that was similar in his review where he said in a other work of fiction, Brienne and the Hound would have fought for a little bit and then, you know, kind of fought to a standstill and they would have had a, a moment of mutual respect and shook hands and become fast friends. And then Arya would have one more solid protector and they'd become this kind of weird nuclear family. But mm-hmm. this is Game of Thrones. So somebody had to die. Sure. And you're right. There's, you know, it's it's weird. It's not very often when fan favorites clash like this and you actually kind of feel conflicted about who I want to win in this particular fight. Yeah, right? absolutely. In fact, I'm trying to think of another instance where that's ever happened. I've always had very strong opinions about who I wanted to win any given confrontation. Sure. That probably would have happened if Jamie and Oberyn had fought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are a few other people in this series, but... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, struggling it's in... to think of other shows, right, right, where it does that. Uh, I would also argue that there is someone who can see and know everything. It's the old guy in the tree. He has a thousand eyes and one. Yeah, whatever the hell that means. I don't know. <laughs> Baroness said, "I really felt for Daenerys when she chained up her dragons. However, they appear to be more trainable and complacent than Drogon. Their fear and shrieks of being abandoned were proof positive that she could have kept them at her side. Drogon, the loner, should have been chained instead." He's the one who snapped at her in a mountainside, and he's the one that no one can account for his whereabouts. Mm-hmm. Do you think now that her putting the quote-unquote good kids in a timeout is going to come back and bite her in the ass, rip that ass right off, given their dragons, or will it make them even be more loyal to her? Wow. Man. She's going to have uh, the dragons with Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, it seems like Drogon's kind of the asshole this of is, the bunch. This is the dragon version of Carrie. <laughs> Okay. You can't go out there. Everyone will laugh. They're going to go you. into a high school and just You're rain just blood. You're just going to eat another girl if I let you out. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it seems like Drogon's an asshole, and these dragons are, you know, a little bit nicer, a little friendlier. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be too pissed about this. Like, yeah, they look pissed, but they they always look pissed. They're dragons. Yeah, that's true. Right? They have so... the, dragons are a good case study for resting bitch face. Sure. They yeah, just yeah. 100% all the time have resting bitch face. Yeah, so I, she's got to deal with Drogon. He's the he's the crazy one. But maybe he's the asshole Danny deserves, just not the asshole she needs right now. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sir Bar- I don't know how to contextualize that with dragons. Sir Barristan Gordon, that's what he said. Uh, anyway, moving on to Pretty Silent One, said Jim said something about Danny not caring about her dragons, although she let them go off about her business without even knowing where they are. You, Aaron, were trying to explain to him that these dragons are her babies. Yes, those dragons are her only connection to motherhood. They are her babies, as she will never have any human babies since she is now barren during to the effect of our favorite witch, Miri Mazdur. If they, the writers slash showrunners, were going to add stuff to the show, it would have been more dialogue or imagery that would show us, uh, show us her longing for that aspect of her womanhood. During the second season, while Danny was wandering around the desert and then in Quarth, they should have shown her longing for Drogo and for her stillborn child and showed us how much she infantilized her dragons. I remember how in the books she actually nursed the dragons at first. Danny had milk in her breast from having given birth to her stillborn. I wish they had not taken that out as it would have made hmm. it clear to the viewers that these are indeed her babies as she bonded with them intensely by nursing them. There is a very strong symbiosis symbiosis that occurs between a nursing mom and her offspring. Did they think it would make her seem crazy, like a crazy cat lady, for example? Yeah, like Liza. Uh, That's true. That they yeah, showing any of that would have made this make much more sense. Hmm. Like I I view the term mother of dragons as like one of her many many An titles. Yeah. yeah, not as like a literal these are her babies sort of thing. Mm. Uh. And and as far as being a mother to these dragons, Daenerys is the Lori Grimes of dragon mothers. Like she could Drogon, stay right there. Yeah, don't I'll be leave back the house, Drogon. In six hours, uh, <laughs> it, it's crazy. I, I think they didn't show enough, like the the emailer is saying. And I also think she just didn't care. Like she obviously neglected them. My God, she's drawn comparisons to <laughs> Betty Draper and Lori Grimes in one episode. That's I'm, harsh. I'm telling you, man, that's harsh. Okay. The only way she could be a worse mother is if Hitler and Ava had somehow reproduced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be the perfect storm of shitty motherhood. Uh, let's move on to Rebecca D. said, The season wrap-up dissolved some character pairings and made some new ones. Are you looking forward to any new pairings? I really like the Stannis-John mm-hmm. interaction. I also hope we see more Tom and Marjorie and Cersei tension next season. Yeah, they really some of the stuff seemed like it happened in another season. The whole Tom and Marjorie Cersei thing, I think, is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about any pairings that you're looking forward to? I've got one right away. Uh, a big one that we surprisingly haven't seen much of in this series is Jamie and Cersei. Yeah, right. For as much talk as there has been of their love, we've seen very, very little of it. Sure, because Jamie was gone most of the time. When he got back, Cersei didn't got want captured, him. Captured, yeah. Like. Wow. So seeing them as a couple, anything else? Um, I mean, Littlefinger and Sansa, that's going to be super interesting. Yeah. Now that she's, you know, a real character. Yeah. No, that is going to be interesting and maybe mind uh, warpingly creepy. Uh, I like Stannis John. I like John Tormund. 
I'm really super excited for Tyrion Varys. The Tyrion Varys Roadshow. I feel like we've seen a, a preview of that before. But it wasn't a right? roadshow. It wasn't a roadshow no, proper. Uh, the show, the, the pairings really get sublime when they make it a roadshow. And this is going to be a roadshow. And it doesn't ha- also it doesn't happen in the books. So I'm like, got I... my bowl of popcorn ready. <laughs> yeah. And super excited to see how this all works out. I'm worried that... Especially since the other thing is, hmm. Varys and Tyrion have never been equals. Like, Tyrion always was in a one-up position of Varys, and Varys was his advisor or something. You know, it's like, I, I now, free from this hierarchy, I just, I, I can't wait to see what kind of dialogue gets generated. I'm hoping they're not too free from the hierarchy, because Varys now has Tyrion in a box, and the last guy he had in a box didn't look so good. Granted, the last guy had really screwed him big time. Yeah. Uh, I just hope Varys is as altruistic as he seems at the moment. How do you square Varys helping Tyrion with his claims that he does everything for the good of the realm? How is this in the realm's greater good? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't even know how he would see it in the realm's greater good. Maybe if he knew that Tywin was going to be killed and that he needed to preserve the one smart guy left in the Lannister line, <laughs> but he doesn't know that <laughs> right? at the time. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm super interested. I mean, I've got some, you know, since I've read the, all the books, I've got a little bit better of an idea on what Tyrion's trying to do and some of his schemes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of things that I'm doing this season are, what the fuck is this? Sh- what is the show telling me that maybe I missed in the books? Because obviously it's like, you know, when they go off the, when they plow through the guardrails and go off the cliff, there's got to be a reason for it, right? I would think so, yeah. And as a book reader, it's kind of like the same time, uh, it, it excites me when we went north of the wall and we saw the kind of weird baby-making ritual that the White Walker, when I see shit like that, and when I see Varys and Tyrion get paired off, I'm like, what the fuck, what does that tell me about the universe that I didn't know before? In this case, I'm just kind of sitting and scratching, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe some things we can talk about next week in the spoiler section, at least me and the listeners, not you, Jim. Okay. You're being excluded and uh, made fun of. <laughs> Fine by me. <laughs> uh, let's see. She also says, Rebecca D., I have trouble picturing Tywin in the show wanting to sleep with Shay. Has he ever shown any interest in women before? I was kind of hoping for some explanation on why he thought it was a good idea, but maybe it's better just being one of those things. He has at least twice. At least twice. Cersei and Jamie and Tyrion. Uh, what? Cersei and Jamie are twins, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. So he's shown oh, an interest, interest in, in women woman. at least okay. twice. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I thought that with uh, since Joanne, his uh, his wife died, Joanna. Um, oh, I don't know. So there's a little. I mean, this is never explicitly spelled out, but there's a lot of hints in the book that maybe Tywin was actually an arch whoremonger. Huh. And there's okay. also some uh fan theories and some hints about the fact that he did some architecting of these tunnels himself to better let him preserve his prim and proper image yet then get down Hmm. and dirty between the sheets the whore tunnels i mean the whore tunnels all that goes in and out of those tunnels is whores that's right it's the whore it's the lannister (laughs) whore tunnels that's why they went broke it's not building the whore tunnels all those this huge subterranean excavation (laughs) to feed tywin's libido Just drained all the gold. He doesn't. He doesn't shit gold. He ejaculates it, oh, and God. it's just all gone. All so gone. the whore tunnels were an investment. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's there's two choices I can make. Get even more disgusting, sure. or move on to the next sure. email. I will choose the latter path. 
David S. says, do you have any thoughts on why Tywin Lannister never remarried after Joanna died in childbirth? With all the marriages, deaths, and remarriages, it's surprising that he wouldn't have his character find another wife or a marriage alliance and have more offspring to carry on the Lannister legacy and name. With Jaime being a member of the Kingsguard and Tyrion being responsible for Joanna's death, I think he would want another offspring to inherit Casterly Rock. Do you have any thoughts, Jim? That's a good point. He could, certainly. I mean, unless he's too old... But I don't know how old he's supposed to be. Uh, too old, too old to complete the bone. <laughs> I I don't know. Um, I will say that it's always been my thought that the Ty- tier T- Jesus Christ to Tywin Lannister in the books truly loved Joanna. Okay, and almost like uncharacteristically, the one thing he was just unreasonably and beyond thinking rationally passionate about was his wife, and it was a huge blow. And I think that you combine that with the final child that he had ended up killing her, that maybe that put him off the thing altogether. I think that's a fair assessment. So, and then, so he never wanted to remarry, but he still had the urges of a man, but he had famously turned out his whole, um, the paramour that his father took after his, his mother died and disgraced her and made this big point about not tolerating whores so, you know, he's got this sexually repressed arch whore master secret tunnel thing going on. I don't know. It's sure. a really complicated character. Uh, definitely going to miss him and Charles Dance's performance. Yeah, I guess one of the things we didn't talk about with the death of Shay is the hypocrisy that Tyrion must have seen there, right? Certainly. From his father, who says, I will not have my son yeah. uh, doing whatever with whores in his tower. Okay, that's exactly what his father's doing now. Sure, sure. So... That's even one more knife through the heart. Oh, yeah. There's a, a lot of reasons Tyrion had to to do the things that, that go on the murderous rampage he did. Yeah. And that was more grist for the mill. Uh, Ryan M said, am I the only one who has no fucking clue what happens which, or what happened with Shay this season? Last we heard from her was that she was getting on a boat out of town and Braun vouched for her. Then she's suddenly in King's Landing, screwing over Tyrion in court and then screwing Tywin in his chambers. Can someone explain to me her timeline and motivations throughout? I was one of the few Game of Thrones TV-only watchers that used to actually like Shay, but boy, did they go Chernobyl in destroying her character. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gun-shy on this, because I feel like the last time I definitively said, who the hell knows, some listeners sent me an email that really dressed me down, and I felt like an <laughs> idiot. Um, but I still can't resolve that, like... It seems either Braun was wrong about putting her on the boat, or she decided to get off the boat as soon as she put him on, or Tywin... I know that Tywin was looking for her and wanted her for questioning. Maybe Tywin's power is sufficient that he was able to lock down the ports or put this APB for yeah. a whore named Shay. Honestly, that's what I assumed, but it's gotta I don't be think there's anything that says along it's... those lines, yeah. Uh, it, nothing specifically says it. Uh, anyway, moving on to Michelle K. I liked the finale, particularly the way that they handled Shay's death at the hands of Tyrion. Tyrion's immediate regret upon killing Shay was palpable, and you could argue that he killed her in self-defense as Shay went after him with a knife when she first entered her dad's room. I, I think that's that's the key that kind of made it a little bit bearable, or what made it less out of character for Tyrion that. You know, he was coming at her in the bed, but who knows what was going to happen. Was he going to kill her? But then she pulled the cheese knife on him, and shit was on. Sure. Got out of hand. Yeah, that spiraled fast. And, yeah, um, they said, uh, 
I forget who it was. Maze Andy Gra- uh, Greenwald on Grantland said that the Tyrion, the sequence of Tyrion, as soon as he gets out of prison, escalated faster than a Ron Burgundy Anchorman fight. It's just sure. like okay, he's got his trident out. Yeah, and... <laughs> it's you know suddenly he's a whore's dead, and his father's got a quarrel <laughs> in his chest and or his guts. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it did seem to get out of hand fast. But I think that's. One of the things that little filmmaking tricks is they kind of made a little bit self-defense so we didn't feel too gross about it. And again, that scene of his just dead face, uh, metaphoric dead face, contrasted with her literal dead face, it was just solid gold and such a great shot. Mm -hmm. It occurs – I think I skipped something. I thought it was a nice touch, by the way, that Tyrion killed his father with Joffrey's crossbow. It's symbolic of all of Tywin's bad decisions in the name of elevating the Lannister name coming back to haunt him from the dead. Mm. Nice take, Michelle. Yep. Brad H. said, regarding the Lannisters, I like that all the momentum that they had at the start of the season is completely gone. Now that Tywin's dead, Cersei can rule pretty much without opposition, and as we all know, she's an idiot. Cersei knows <laughs> that Lannister's gold mines are dry, and I'm interested to see what, if anything, she plans to do about it. It also occurs to me that she no longer has the spy networks of either Littlefinger or Varys to help her out. I know Pycelle had many birds himself, but I doubt he can match the other two. And besides, Cersei clearly wants nothing to do with Pycelle any longer. Jim, does this sound like a recipe for disaster? I think so. I think Cersei acting in any official capacity is a recipe for disaster. I mean, imagine Cersei sitting there sloshing a wine cup around, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have Varys or Littlefinger. I mean, granted, Littlefinger was working to murder her son throughout the whole season. (laughs) But still... Those two guys are more competent than anybody. I mean, who who's going to be the hand now? Mace Tyrell, the governor of some uh, shitty Star Trek: The Next Generation. God, planet? I hope not. He'd no be terrible. Way. No way. Uh, I mean, she doesn't. There's not a Grandmaster Pycelle. He's still going to be on a smell. Mace Tyrell <laughs> and Grandmaster Pycelle and Jamie Lannister. That's her advisors. All terrible. Jamie is the least biggest, the, the smallest idiot, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's yeah. still kind of an idiot. Yeah, that's not his his forte, thinking. No. He likes to slice people up. He likes to sword fight and fuck. Yep. Mostly his sister. And, mm. you know, what? <laughs> I, I got nothing else. I got nothing. Right. That went nowhere. Uh, Tim from Australia says, I'm not as clear on as Jim on where Ari is headed. She said she wanted to go to the wall. The ship captain initially said she's sailing to Bravos. I'm going to have to dry pie a little bit because we actually end up talking about that. Um Said that he thought it looked like they're heading north, but I'm certain that she's going to Bravos. Oh, are you book reader? I think that's well. That's the clear implication. <laughs> it seemed like it to me. Uh, I don't know. I didn't watch as they pulled out of port and went up the coast, and I don't know the geography well I mean, enough. Anyway, just, I just can't consider that's a spoiler so, that they showed Jack and saying, "If you ever want to find me again, give a person from Bravos this coin." Uh-huh. Her giving him that coin. Where are that, you headed with this boat, yeah, Bravos? Yeah, this it's like oh, I'll, you know, first first class accommodation to the wall. No, that's that's not going to happen. I, <laughs> you're you're going to the wall, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not. You don't you don't fuck with a potential faceless man. Uh, Nick B said the children in the forest whisking Bran away to safety felt like something out of a Jim Henson movie, not Game of Thrones. I have expected I have expected David Bowie to show up and guide Bran and Hodor to Fraggle Rock. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's an '80s mashup right there. Uh, No, I feel it. The Fraggle Rocks earlier. I feel him. The lighting and some of the makeup choices they did with that particular child of the forest was a little Hensony. Sure. Okay. Was a little. Yeah, Yeah. Hobbit era. Uh, Jackson, Pete Jackson work. 
Uh, as for Tywin, well, at least we can say he died on the throne. Cue the Elvis jokes. Jeez. Uh, Andrew T. took time off from making jokes on Facebook to send in a re- relatively serious email. Sam and Ari are diametric opposites. One is a slovenly overweight coward that would terrify any father that the prospect of, or at the prospect of that coming out of his balls. There, there's a precocious, brash survivor who makes us all wish she was our little girl. By almost every single poll that I've made up in my mind, readers and watchers all root for Arya and have been annoyed by Sam, and yet we're all wrong. Because Arya is a female psychopath. She's become a cold-blooded killer who shows no mercy to anyone. She's driven by hatred and revenge. If Arya looked like the Hound, she'd almost be a Joffrey-esque villain. It's not too late. Still got... (laughs) Still got like two books and three seasons to go. <laughs> uh, Sam, on the other hand, is a whole person. He's flawed. Yeah, he's like a person and a half. Am I right? <laughs> uh, he's flawed and he smells like the leather on Meatloaf's motorcycle seat. He's also become a killer, <laughs> you know that. but only out of necessity and love. He's driven to do the things he does out of more wholesome motivations. So what does it say about us as a culture that we laud Arya yet barely put up with Sam? I don't. I don't know that I agree with... The fact that Arya is just driven by revenge and hatred, um, I think it's a sense of justice as well, and that's certainly something we as a society value. I almost, I came this close to making the Arya has a very stark view of justice. Oh, God. And <laughs> and you did it anyway. I did it anyway. <laughs> Why well, pat my, myself on the back for not doing it? <laughs> I like them apples. Yeah. No, yo, seriously, she's like a weaponized version of Ned Stark's justice. Yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying. Like, she's out for blood, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, and she does... Now, do you agree that she's a psychopath? That's harder to categorize. I kind of I kind of am fine with labeling her as that. And yes, she's got her reasons, and I'm not saying that... Sure. But she's, you know, I mean, is she Dexter level? I mean, the way she just watched the Hound sit and suffer, a guy who... You know, that's she... also a sense of justice. I don't know. I feel like right. she's more on the justice train than she is just the blind revenge train. Hmm. Like she's dealing out justice to a lot of people, right? I guess. Why is it just allow the hound to die a slow death? Just because he did that to other people. You get what you slow deaths. I never saw the hound to give anyone a slow, painful death. Didn't he beat the farmer senseless and leave him there? Well, he punched him once and took his gold. <laughs> I guess if you're saying okay, leave, yeah, yeah. leaving you to starve to death in a war-ravaged winter There's is coming that. Westeros, that is the ultimate form of slow death. You got me <laughs> How there. do you like this? You got eight months. <laughs> <laughs> if you're unlucky. Yeah. If you're uh, lucky, you'll slip on a banana peel and die tonight. I don't know. I mean, I do see what Andrew's saying. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's a little bit more to her than just this blind rage. But no, I mean, we as Americans, and apparently we've exported this culture very well overseas, we loves our lone wolf antiheroes that fuck shit up and make sure. try to make things right. Yeah. So uh, I don't know that that's good or bad. It just is the way we are. I do completely agree with him about Sam. Um, I don't know what he smells like, but... I do think that he is certainly the the more rounded out character. He's got <laughs> Stop making fat jokes. I'm not We're I'm, above I swear this. I'm not doing We're that. We're above this. Uh he's certainly um the more robust character. <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't know. I mean I I do like Sam and I have liked Sam 
for a long time. That's the thing. Like I, I've th- never despised Sam. My problem with Andrew T's thesis is the fact that he's postulating that the fan base does not like Sam. I think since Sam killed a White Walker, people yeah, have come yeah. around on him, and I. I don't know that's an even common sentiment that people are bemoaning his lack of courage and whatnot, because in the last episode, he was courageous as hell. Yeah, and I mean, he's been stepped all over by everybody in his life. Certainly. So I'm sure there are a lot of people who identify with that. I think that makes him a more sympathetic character to begin with. Right. Um, the stuff that has happened to Arya hasn't happened directly to her. Sure. I mean, it's happened to her family. Uh, so she's slightly less sympathetic, maybe. Mm. Okay. Anything else, or should we move on to the next? Let's move on. Brian KW asks, what do you guys think Ty would have done if Tyrion was crazy enough to go back to his room? Oh, no way he survives. No way. You don't think Tyrion could have talked his way at crossbow point into some kind of pardon? Could he talked himself into taking the black? No, no. I really don't. I don't think that after being accosted on the john and threatened with a crossbow that Tywin would allow that. Okay, you're probably right. No, I think, yeah, I believe guards would be called as soon as the crossbow was uh, put down. Probably. Frida from Sweden said, I think he believed her. Wait, 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 what's going on here? Uh, about She disagreed about our uh, take on the Hound versus Arya and what the Hound thought about Brienne's intentions. She says, mm-hmm. I believe that he believed her and knew that she had good intentions. The Hound even told Arya to go with her once she realized he realized that he was finished. I think he was fighting for himself. He's been telling us about how his family never cared about him, that knighthood means nothing, how he has no home, no money in the world, uh, is trub- worth the trouble he's gone through trying to trade Arya to his aunt. He has nothing to live for but taking care of Arya. His protecting her is the only thing that gives his life meaning at this point. He would have fought anyone to keep that. So like I said, he's hmm. or like I said, he saw that what Brian he saw what Brian was all along, but took the fight for himself. On top of that, I think he was sparked by jealousy of Arya's admiration for and sort of kinship with Brian, which makes Arya's blow so much more brutal. I think, despite all the awful things he's done, it was heartbreaking to see him in like that. Brilliantly written and well played out. What do you think of that take? I like that take. I don't think that take is the exclusive truth. I think sure. it's I. I think it's a blend of what we said. He's distrustful of this Southron girl with Lannister gold, mm-hmm. as well as this explains his feelings for, you know, it's basically twin reasons, I guess. Yeah, and you got to think about the timing of it, too. I mean, after he's beat and defeated and can't walk an inch, then he tells Arya, go with her. Yeah. That, how, who else is going to protect her at that point? And I felt like that fair, that played kind of like sour grapes on his, like some of the other sarcastic comments he's made about her once it's clear that he can't, you know, it's kind of like, fine, go find the she bitch bit uh, defeated me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he could have yielded when Brian beat him the first time and instead he grabbed the blade and, can, you know, took the fight to the next level. That, I think the yeah, yeah. him fighting up until he grabbed the blade, you can explain away as him being distrustful of Brian. But if he didn't have this not only affection for Arya, but this need for family, I don't think he would have fought to the death. Well, I, I mean, I also like the idea like the the emailer said that he Frida. this that this is the only thing he's got mm. right i do like that that portion of it that makes sense that's why he would fight for her in the first place and and not believe pretend or really actually not believe brienne uh that makes a lot of sense to me all right nicole k but the k is silent 
The first exchange between the Hound and Arya was incredible. I think that the Hound made a huge mistake in try, by trying to goad her into killing him. She has behaved impulsively in the past, but generally she is very calculating. And everything about her body language was screaming, I'm thinking. Had he kept his mouth shut, I bet she would have killed him. He was on her list, after all, and she is nothing if not a woman of her word. But because he so desperately wanted it, he brought up all the bad shit that he's done that put him on the list to begin with. And instead of giving him mercy and crossing another name off her list, he cho- she chose to let him uh, have neither of them or let neither of them have what they want. He'll still die unless there's a maester on the other side of the rock, but not quickly. And like we heard from her when they found out Joffrey died, it's not the same as if she had done it herself. What do you have? Do you think that Arya was kind of weighing the scales of justice and he talked himself into a long, painful death? Or do you think that she was just, this was her savoring all of his sweet, salty tears, all of his tears of regret and all of his pain and misery, and she's going to put that into her <laughs> uh, psychopathic spank bank? Uh, wow, that's horrifying. Um, Thank you. I'm proud of it. <laughs> a horrifying illusion. Uh, I, I think that it's probably somewhere in the middle. It's probably a combination. Like she kind of was talked out of it by the hound. Uh, I mean, it's certainly, I don't, I don't think getting her angry was the right way to go. Arya seems too smart for that. She seems like she can realize what he's trying to do there. Right. And, you know, play against it. Yeah. He, I think he could have done a direct appeal for mercy. Like, sure. look, I know I've made mistakes. I've not been perfect. Well, he asks. He says, do you want me to beg? And he refuses. Like, That's what I'm saying. He, he kind of begs as she leaves, but not he's really. He's not equipped to deal with her on that emotional level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that is all in his heart. That is all in his chest. And he would, it would, it probably killing him to get out, but he can't <laughs> oh, articulate boy. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, listen to our Metalocalypse uh, fan-sponsored podcast if you want to hear that particular inside joke. Yeah. Uh, what else? I think that's that's all the feedback we got. Do you have any more comments before we say adieu to you? I don't think so. Well, if you'd like to send us some feedback, uh, we still got probably... Uh, what am I saying? We've still got another podcast coming next week, as I alluded to at the beginning of the cast. Where we're going to do the season wrap-up. We're going to do book differences versus show differences. Um, if you'd like to send some feedback about your general thoughts of the season, how it's stacked up with other seasons, or whatever you want. You'd like to uh, Anything I missed in the spoiler section that we're about to get to after the music that you'd like for me to cover, send all that stuff in to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can always participate in our Facebook threads on facebook.com slash baldmove. Please, please, no book spoilers. Please be good on that. Not even, like, allusions to things that are missing, because people are not as dumb as you think they are, it turns out, and uh, they can get spoiled by that. Um, And if you'd like to tweet at Jim, you can do so on Twitter, at baldmove. That's it. We'll see you back next week for the season wrap-up. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. I will see you book people in the spoiler section. They all think I lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond, and my bond is my word. Ballard or Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies, and time slips by. Ballard, my rulers, all men must die. Okay, uh, let's talk. I wish this is one of the few times this season where I feel like even with the expanded time that I've had 
doing this full time. I haven't had enough time to do the research and preparation necessary to do this justice just because there was so much stuff people sent me from so many different sources. Uh, hopefully I can make it up uh, for the diehards next week with the season wrap-up cast. But I'm going to get right to the feedback, and then I'm going to uh, dredge up some topics that I might have missed or no one has commented on. And then we're going to get to the final the final tinfoil theory of the year. I don't think uh, it's such an incredible amount of work to do the book versus show uh, feature for the next show. I doubt I'll have time to do a full, well, to do any kind of uh, tinfoil theory. And also I just don't want to shoot, shoot my wad too much. I'm counting on winds of winter to be out before next season. That'll generate a whole bunch more tinfoil theory. But if not, you know, I don't know that I have a full season. I don't know that there'll be enough, material to do another full season for next year although you know i say that and then the theory that uh, i'm going to talk about today which just came up about three months ago for the first time so it's pretty interesting theory uh Bruce bolton was another one that came up about six months ago so maybe if they generate four or five new ones a year with no new content uh, we can keep that going but anyway enough bullshit Let's get right to the feedback from Connor O. Says, I'm sure you're being inundated with a shit ton of people pissed that there was no Lady Stoneheart. Indeed, I am. Reveal at the end of the finale. I was one of those people until I let the episode sink in and realized that it was the hands-down best finale or episodes they've made in the series so far. The one part that got me, though, was the ending fade to black felt like a solid five seconds before the credit rolled. I was certain Lady Stoneheart would make an appearance even for just a second. But no, and sadly, I waited until the end of the credits before giving up, thinking they'd do some kind of Marvel-esque reveal. Uh, anyway, there's an interesting read from Entertainment World, uh, or Entertainment Weekly with director Alex Graves about the Lady Stoneheart no-show and what implications does this mean for the infamous Clegane Bowl. I thought for certain after the scenes with Kyburn and then look, uh, looking at the Hound's injuries that they foreshadowed the shit out of that. So let's talk about this. You know, if you've listened to this spoiler section for a while, you'll know that I was a big fan of the final scene that we see in the show being that of Lady Stoneheart, that uh, somehow Pod and uh, Brienne were going to f- uh, fall afoul of her. Um, and indeed, with the extra long episode, I wasn't paying too much attention to the clock. And I got to echo a lot of what Connor had to say here, that as the episode wore on and then we had the fade to black, I thought, sure, we are going to get something i think he put it great a marvel-esque post credits or post fade to black scene uh of somehow these guys being captured and and or maybe it would be something like the books where it's just some unnamed fray that's captured and the reveal of lady stoneheart and for us book readers it would be super exciting to see that but you've got to ask yourself is that really what you want do you want the lady stoneheart to reveal reveal rather to be a a gotcha teaser trailer moment for next year and if you do that's fine that's that's a fine opinion to have i just think that i don't know that that's how i want the the i don't want to leave the majority of viewers thinking what the fuck and then there's not a lot of lady stoneheart to go around when would we see her next would it be better to more fully develop this idea and you know, lay this idea that there's unrest in the Riverlands and the Brotherhood Without Banners are really stepping up their kind of uh, questionable outlaw tactics and they're taking a new hard line against fray survivors. And, uh, 
you know, have this occur more organically than trying to shoehorn it to the end of the season. And I get it. Uh, Lena Headey did people no favors with her Instagram post where she did the stones arranged in a heart pattern. Uh, there's a lot of non-book readers that asked me if I could, in a non-spoilery way, talk about what was omitted here. And there's really nothing I can do. There's no way I can talk about Lady Stoneheart without giving massive spoilers for next season. If you care to spoil yourself, just Google search for Lady Stoneheart and you'll, you will have everything you need to know about it. But there's no like... You know, there's no like being a half virgin or being half pregnant either. You're either spoiled or you're not on this one. So to me, I expected it and I wanted it. I feel like maybe if they did the pacing of the last two episodes a little bit better, they could have fit it in and made it be an epic uh, reveal. But again, I have a lot of faith with the double D's. Again, I feel like that. They're doing this season with next season in mind, and we talked about how tough it's going to be to slog through some of this Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons stuff, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that in the spoiler section. And if they feel like they need that material in the next season to provide some punches, it's not like we didn't get a lot of firepower this season. I've said it's the best season. I was shocked to see people on Facebook say that they felt it was the weakest uh, season of the bunch. In terms of the pacing, in terms of the action, in terms of the budget and performances, and the CGI work, the storytelling, uh, the surprise, because the Red Wedding was ruined for so many people. But I, you know, this Prince Oberon stuff and Tywin stuff came out of nowhere. I feel like it's the most gratifying season as a book reader. And, and the fact that we got to see stuff about the White Walkers that even book readers didn't know about previously, I find that all completely fascinating, completely interesting, and... I love it. And I guess I could classify myself as an omnivorous A Song of Ice and Fire fan. I like the story. I like the characters. And I found something out about myself this season. I'm kind of Martin agnostic. I don't see him. In fact, I'm kind of, uh, this might be heretical, but I've got a bordering on George Lucas level concern for this canon being in his hands because the man doesn't seem... He seems kind of almost delusional about the fact that this series is going to overtake his works and take the story out of his hands. You know, his talks about, well, they could do a miniseries and they could do a movie and they could, it, or, and I've got another book that they don't know about. It's bullshit, George. You're bullshitting yourself. And to the extent that you feel like letting this show leapfrog you is a disservice to your fan, you're, you're, you are doing a disservice to us. But I don't know. I mean, I'm using a lot of words to say that I've, completely come around to the idea that the show might spoil the books for me. And I think that's okay. Most of the time when I see a movie and then go on to read a book series, I enjoy it a lot more than when I read the book series and then see the adaptation. Because one is an expansion. You go from TV or film to book, it's an expanded world. You go from book to TV and film, it's a smaller, a more constrained world. And I, I, I'm kind of okay with getting the broad strokes put into my head through the TV show and seeing the resolution of plot and then taking a nice – it's kind of like reading a Game of Thrones the first time and you miss all the R plus L equals J and you miss all the subtext and all that. And then you read it two and three times and then you start noticing things you didn't notice before. Seeing it on television, 
is a way to let my mind anyway relax and take this stuff in when I read the books and get a deeper appreciation for it. I don't know that I could have made it through Feast of Crows and Dance of Dragons if I had never had the books to kind of, or the or even Game of Thrones for that matter if I hadn't had the movies to kind of prime me and you know do a lot of heavy lifting on getting me to have affection for these characters. I mean, I I've, I've never been able to get through Wheel of Time for a similar maybe if they made a Wheel of Time movie, I would be able to, but there's just a critical mass of characters and plot where it wasn't fun for me to read. I thought the show was a good gateway to get me hooked on that. And I I guess I've learned to stop worrying and love the TV show. Uh, there's a lot of people that would disagree with me. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying this is my perspective as a big book fan, as a guy who obsesses over the theories uh, who craves spoil? You know, who craves new information? Not necessarily spoilers, but new information. That's just my my viewpoint. Wanted to get that straight before I moved on for the rest of feedback, including Mike H said, "I'm wondering if you think that Melisandre has been using Stannis throughout the whole series in order to get herself closer to John. It seems to me that she's very in touch with whatever the Red God is about, and if she can even read the flames at the third grade level, she can see that John, rather than Stannis, is Azora High." Even Master Ammon questions Dannis because his flaming sword gives off no heat. I asked a question about, uh, hold on a second, let me, let me pause and answer that. I think we've talked about this in the spoiler section. I feel like the jig is definitely up with Melisandre and John because in her point of view chapter, we see her asking the flames for glimpses of Azor High and of Stannis and of the prince that was promised. And she says that the flames only give her uh, images of snow. Snow is capitalized with the capital S here. To me, that's not even a, a sly hint that Melisandre knows that Stannis is not the true prince that was promised. He's not as Azor High, and that it's Jon Snow somehow. And you can read a lot of the stuff in Feast and Dance. I'm not sure which one she's POV characters with and which one John, you know, it's kind of jumbled together in my mind. But you can see a lot of her interactions with him as being kind of naked manipulations of him. Uh, your other question or comment says, I asked a question about Bronn's show future early in the season. I think we we're both disappointed with how that went. But there's good news is they're casting Lala Stokeworth for the show. Looks like there's more Bronn in our future. That'd be great news. Um, I don't know that there's a lot for him to do. It would be interesting if he continues the ill and pain role and goes off uh, with Jamie to ride through the Riverlands and uh, bring everything to heal and bring it under the King's Peace. Uh, I like Jamie and Bronn's chemistry, and I could definitely get down with more of that. And if they bring Lawless along for the ride, that would be lots of fun, lots of lols, if you will. And we'll see how it goes. Pretty Silent One said, Brendan, the three-eyed raven, just being a man sitting in a damn tree? Okay. This will get my book reader blood up. I wanted him to really have been part of the tree, grown into the roots, with roots growing out of his body and through his face. The imagery described in the books was something I was really looking forward to being realized on screen. Why waste CGI on the skeletons a la Pirates of the Caribbean and Dumbass Balls of Fire? Put it, it to that and answer a damn question about why he's there. I know they will get to that next season, but 40 seconds more and a shared prophetic vision between them would have been nice. Yeah, I could take or leave that, but you're absolutely right on his appearance. I was really pissed and disappointed. Why do I got this imitation Saruman the Dingy sitting, just standing amidst a bunch of tree roots when I could have a 
half desiccated, grown into the tree system, roots coming out of his eye socket, you know, raspy voice, really creepy th- uh, three-eyed crow. And if it's a lack of CGI or budget or they didn't have the makeup work, then just show the dude wreath and shadow. Like, have the same guy, have him in the same position, but have his face shadow. Have Bran not have a clear view. You've got all these bones strewn around the caverns. It's really creepy set. This guy just didn't live up to it. And I don't feel like this is a thing like the mountain where they can just recast him or come back and have a tree growing out of his eye socket next season because people will be like, what the fuck? I think we're stuck with this third-rate three-eyed crow. And it's not fatal, but... I don't understand because the majority of that could be done with makeup and prosthetics. And I mean, look at what they did with Sandor leaning up against that cliff with the mud on his face and you know how they almost transformed that character. I'm not asking for much. I'm just asking for the guy to be a little bit corp- more corpsey and a couple tree roots growing through him. Uh, totally agree with that. And definitely was disappointed in that. Moving on. Nathan P says, so Jojen died. I guess they want to shock even the book readers as well. That might crush lots of pace theories. By the way, did you like the Easter eggs I put throughout the cast? I talked about Jojen getting pasted. What was the other one I did? Oh, yes, about Melisandre looking through the flames and seeing only snow. Uh, I was kind of proud of myself for sprinkling those through the podcast with uh, show watchers being none the wiser. I hope you guys got some chuckles out of that. Still, Brand's storyline needed a big boost in interest, and a shocking death will do that to audiences. It surprises me that they've pressed through Brand's already small storyline so quickly. What do you think Brand could be doing for the next season or so? It looks like we're going to be going beyond stable book territory, but I'm not sure if skipping Brand for a season and returning to a bearded and fully grown crippled man is good for keeping pace with the other storylines. I guess I don't see it that way. Yes, it appears to the extent that the book canon reflects the show canon that Jojen Paste is... R.I.P. It's done for. Um, I don't know. Could it be Mira paste? Could it be end up being Hodor paste? Uh, could it be Summer paste? Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't think there's a necessary a death of that particular theory, just that particular theory with that particular character. And it was always a long shot anyway. It's kind of icky, the fact that that was how Jojen would meet his fate. Uh, also, Jojen in the books, again, I'm as interested in Mira because I think she's a more interesting character. There's also another tinfoil theory about uh, R plus L equals J plus and M, uh, implying that Mira is also a uh, Targaryen, secret Targaryen, that we're not going to have time to talk about this season. Uh, and also, I just thought that her and Bran had good chemistry. Uh, Bran's seen clearly that she had a crush on her. And I thought that might be open up some interesting dramatic storytelling later when maybe he'd have to choose, uh, you know, between the greater good and saving her life or, you know, what that, that, that this is another stakes that he's having to give up having normal relationships when he becomes basically a tree person. So, and I think that imagine the amount of Bran being doled out over the next season, similar to the amount of Theon transformation into Reek from last season. I think that's much more interesting. Uh, I think it's also something that like, you have to really kind of dole out in small bits because if you hit like Jim with 30 minutes of brand, you know, warging into trees and warging into crow flocks and stuff like that, things could go badly. And for people that are like, Oh, Jim, he, well, he needs to get off his fantasy high horse. Lots of people are, sympathetic to his view i I know i listened to bill simmons and it took him the longest time to start watching uh 
the game game of thrones bill simmons a podcast gets millions of listeners he's a sports commentator but he also does pop culture he runs grantland.com and he's like you know i just don't want another one of them walking through the trees fantasy dragon crap thing he watched and he got hooked because game of thrones is not just a walking through the forest fan dragon fantasy stuff and to the extent that it morphs into that and goes away from the intrigue and the scandal and the personal relationships i think it's going to disappoint a lot of people and i'm kind of in that group uh I don't want it to go full on Lord of the Rings. Uh, I want it to stay more firmly with you know, magic playing small, decisive roles. But again, that's just my opinion. Uh, and that's how I think they'll proceed. I think you'll have a Theon transformation into Reek level of engagement next season, only Bran transforming into a tree, if that makes sense. And also, if the Winds of Winter comes out, or even it's not, they can pull some of that information and keep us busy for a, a season easily. And I don't think it's going to be boring. Uh, Anissa S., I hope I didn't butcher your name too bad. I want to send you a quick word about the death of Jojen. Let's see here. Uh, I don't know. I think this is a little bit of dry pie. Sorry about that. Um, so we'll skip that from now. She was saying that maybe this was a, considered a book spoiler. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Jojen had one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel all throughout Bran's chapters anyway. And a lot of, you know, a lot of popular speculation that he was dead and was being fed to Bran anyway. So was it really a spoiler? The death of Jojen being spoiled is not anywhere near my pegging my outrage meter, uh, even adjusting for the fact that I apparently am not afraid to be spoiled by the show about the book. So Josh B said, I thought the episode is good overall, but I can't contain my disappointment over the prison breakout scene. Here's the other big one. It's probably my favorite scene in the books, and they rushed and they botched it, in my opinion. I think Taisha is a huge part of the foundation of Tyrion's character, and they blew over it. I guess they left it out because show watchers wouldn't remember them mentioning it or care that it even happened. I think you're right there, Josh. I just really wanted to see Tyrion and Jamie scene where they talk about Taisha and Cersei, and I wanted to see Tyrion and Tywin talk about it. I love Dinklage, Nikolaj, and Dance's portrayals of these characters, and with the strong writing the show has, I feel like this would have been extremely strong scenes. Even if Taisha is brought up later on, which I doubt she will be, it'll never get, I'll never get wherever whores go. Let's talk about that last thing. Throughout Dance, what goes through Tyrion's head on and on and on is a reflection of Taisha and this, this love that he lost and where do whores go. And it becomes his mission, but not quite because he's not really looking for Taisha, in my opinion. He's really trying to make his way uh, towards Danny. But that's definitely going through his monologues, and that's the key scene. Can you imagine how they would get Peter Dinklage to ruminate over wherever whores go out loud with other characters over and over again as much as they do in the book? Similarly to Jamie wondering, uh, hearing Echoes and Moonboy for all I care, how are they going to incorporate that into his this internal monologue that's on the page that I, in my opinion, I think G George Martin uses far too often in Feast for Crows and Dance for Dragons for my taste really just beats that into the ground. I'm, I'm cautiously glad they didn't go in that direction because I think it would have been confusing for show watchers. And I think that sh the Shay motivation and the fact that she kind she loved me, but then she betrayed me. And, but I turned her away. I almost think that's a more mature way to deal with that than, Oh, this thing that happened to you as a teenager that you always thought was this one way, now it's the other way. And I also really love the scene between uh, Jamie and Tyrion. I mean, Jamie tenderly kissing him and their reaffirmation for, I mean, 
is Jamie and Tyrion's antagonism going to be important later down the line? If so, then the Double D's really fucked up. If them being mortal enemies is not important for the rest of the series, or they reconcile somehow in some convenient manner later on, then they didn't screw up. And in fact, they might have made the, the, the whole scene stronger. I get it that, you know, the Taisha stuff was an easy motivation for Tyrion to go on his uh, murderous rampage. But, I mean, talking to Jim, talking to other show watchers, I don't feel like they thought that he needed extra motivation. And having Shay do that little bit of last-ditch self-defense and just how brutal she betrayed him in the trial, I feel like a lot of people are saying, you know, it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, it's not justified, but we understand where you're coming from. We can still sympathize with you as a character, just like we can watch Jamie shove a child out the window but then get on board with him three seasons later when he's in a hot tub with Brienne pouring his heart out. And we can turn on him again when it looks like he's raping his sister. You know, I, I just feel like it's if you're a book purist and you have to have the dialogue and you have to have it go down exactly like the books, you're probably having a worse time than I am where I'm looking at the, the big picture and saying, how would they incorporate that? Where do whores go into the narrative going forward? And can they take that core motivation of Tyrion, the fact that, He's really mind-fucked about what it means to be family and what it means to be loved unconditionally. Can they apply, paint that onto his relationship with Jamie and Shay? And I think the easy answer to that is yes, they can. And yes, Peter Dinklage can sell it. And we're not going to have any problems with that next season. But I could be wrong, and I totally respect your opinion and your disappointment for not seeing that go down the, the way that it did in the books. Jesse Kay said, my first problem with the episode was the omission of Lady Stoneheart. I thought it would have been a good cliffhanger if Brienne and Pod had been captured by, by the Brotherhood. Uh, also didn't like Jojen, so a lot of dry pie there. Um, also want to ask if you think they will trade Rattleshirt for Tormund. It seems this is more and more likely. Can't wait for next year. I don't know, man, because you, here's the thing. I always look at what is the barest dramatic bones that the double D's can hang their plot on and not be a complete betrayal of George R. R. Martin's work and have the most economy of characters? They already introduced Rattlebones as a significant dude. And he's got a very distinctive look that you throw him up in the previously on Game of Thrones and people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that motherfucker. We also know that eventually, unless they're going to completely deviate from the books, Mance Raider's got to go south to Winterfell and do his able to bard routine. And Tormund and John are left to kind of forge this uneasy alliance between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings and do all that stuff. And we also think that Melisandre is going to sacrifice somebody with royal blood to make a big show uh, of submission to the Wildlings um, and Stannis's people. There's three roles, and if you leave out a little rattle shirt, there's one vacant. So I think we're going to see a previously on, and we're going to see rattle shirts stupid giant skull uh, uh, helmet, and then we're going to see him burn in that episode. And there's going to be prominent displays of red rubies, and we're going to start making those connections between Melisandre and Stannis' sword and uh, Rattle's shirt and all the glamouring and stuff that goes on. So I could be wrong again, but that's how I see it, and I do think that else rattle shirt was a completely unnecessary addition to make they didn't need to introduce him they could have had him been tormented all along and saved the economy of characters and they do i mean for as much as we rag on them for having such a huge cast they also do a lot a very good job of paring it down before they add new people i mean 
yeah, it sucks that Pip died. It sucks that Grin died. It sucks that Jojen died. It sucks that Tywin died, really, when you come down to it from a character standpoint. But those are four, you know, two minor, one mid-level, and one major slot that can be filled with other faces next season. And, you know, with all these characters going off to places in Essos and to Bravos and to Slaver's Bay and all the people we know that need to be introduced next season, those slots are going to be super valuable. So I think I took care of all the book reader outrage. There wasn't any book reader outrage about the Hound and, and Brienne scene because I think it was well done and it stayed true to the sto- uh, spirit of the books and may, may, mainly centered around uh, Lady Stoneheart and Taisha and the Three-Eyed Crow being a total fucking jip, which I uh, I guess I got a wait-and-see attitude about Lady Stoneheart. I totally agree on the Three-Eyed Raven, but I don't think it's fatal. But I just I just don't know why. It's, it's kind of like, you know, in Season 2, they really half-assed the half-hand, the core and half-hand part, and it seemed like they didn't have to. And there was a lot more epic stuff in the book, and they and then it was j- just as expensive or lack thereof the film, and it would have been better and greater. Just like I didn't understand why they weirdly scaled down the CGI part of the battle they showed last. You know, why did they make it seem like Mance was a complete idiot sending a bunch of you know unprotected troops up to the wall and the climbing? You know, when the book stuff, the last stand in that tunnel with the murder holes and everything was already awesome. I I kind of don't understand why they do it some that sometimes, but. You know, I'm not the one writing these things. I'm not the one storyboarding them. I'm not the one shooting them. And it's hard to argue overall with the results that we're getting. Okay, are you ready? Are you buckled in for the last segment for this season of the Tinfoil Theory? Uh, this is one that released got released on Reddit at uh, the beginning of the season, about three months ago, by a user that goes by the name of Roadside Rose. And... It's sol- you know, when I first talked about doing this tinfoil theory, I thought mostly I would do five to ten minute puff pieces like Varys is a Merling or Varys is Ilio's wife or Varys is a woman. There's a lot of Varys theories and, uh, you know, Benjen Stark is Dario Naharis and some of the fun ones that don't have a lot of textual support and are more silly and you kind of kind of laugh at them. But when I did the ones I did and I got in-depth quotes and a texture, I just feel like I kind of spoiled myself and maybe everybody listening with that these weren't just going to be puff pieces and stupid, that there was going to be some hardcore evidence to make people think. And I kind of went away from the tinfoil and I went more towards the Valerian Steel side of the, the, the fan theories and speculation. I feel like this is very close to the Rose, the Roose Bolton as a vampire. It's tinfoil, but there's a lot of textual evidence and a lot of interesting story possibilities and a lot of thematic stuff going on with it. It's the theory that the new High Septon, the Sparrow-led uh, or Sparrow-born High Septon, is in fact Howlin' Reed. Are you ready for this? Let's talk about this again. This is not my theory. This is Roadside Rose on Reddit. You can search for this. Uh, if you search for High Septon tinfoil theory, you should should be the first link you see on Reddit or on Google. Um, we don't know a lot about the current High Septon. There's a quote in the books where it says Quibin's whispers, or Kyburn's whispers, claimed that the Septon Lucian had nine votes from was nine votes from elevation when the doors in the Great Sept had given way and the sparrows came pouring in with their leader on their shoulder and axes on their hands. So it looked like that there was going to be an establishment candidate. 
for Pope slash High Septon. And at the last minute, this popular support of these sparrows, these, you know, hedge knights and and poor downtrodden people with staves and and scythes and, and uh, threshers had burst in and taken over the whole thing and appointed this unknown person as the High Septon, much to Cersei and everyone else's chagrin. We also know that he is withholding the traditional anointing of the king, something that stretched back in tradition since the, the Westeros has been united as the seven kingdoms underneath the Iron Throne, that the High Septon would bless uh, the new king. And this isn't, you know, this is just a ritual, right? But there's a lot of legitimacy with the common people. And we've talked about this before, that the common people and a, a rebellion would be disastrous, especially as fragile as the, the Lannister position is in Dance of Dragons and Feast for Crows. But he's not blessing Tommen because he's got some things he wants to extort from Cersei, maybe. Uh, he says himself that the hour is not ripe in Cersei's POV chapter in Feast for Crows. One of the things that this tinfoil theory speculates is maybe he's waiting for a different king. Maybe he's withholding the blessing intentionally. Why would he do that? Well, let's look at this. who this High Septon is. Cersei describes him. She comes into the chapter and asks where he's at, and one of the Septons said that he's cleaning the floor of the Sept of Baelor. Uh, we find out that the speaker is shorter than the queen by several inches and as thin as a broom handle. Uh, he says, work is a form of the prayer, most pleasing to the smith. He stood, scrub brush in hand. Your grace, we've been expecting you. The man's beard was gray and brown and closely trimmed, his hair tied up in a hard knot behind his head. Those robes were clean, they were frayed and patched as well. He had rolled his sleeves up to his elbows as he scrubbed, but below the knees the cloth was soaked and sodden. His face was sharply pointed, with deep-set eyes as brown as mud. His feet are bare, she saw with dismay. They were hideous as well, hard and horny things, thick with callus. You are his high holiness, Cersei says. Again, this is in Feast for Crows. This is a description of the High Septon. If you recall, when Brienne was heading to Duke, Duke Duskendale, uh, she meets a Septon who has a similar description. I think this is Septon Maribold. Uh, the man asked Brienne and his companions to join the sparrows headed to King's Landing. It says the Septon had a lean, sharp face and a short beard, grizzled gray and brown. His thin hair was pulled back and knotted behind his head, and his feet were as bare and black, gnarled and hard as tree roots. The physical description of this high Septon matches the physical description of the Septon that Brienne met on the road. Now, why is this significant? Well, it I think it establishes a, that they're the same person. I do believe that, regardless of the rest of the tinfoil's validity, I do believe that Septon Maribold is the new High Septon. Um, it also points that the, this person was coming from the north and heading south to King's Landing, but he runs around barefoot, so it's unlikely that he's in the far north. So this would put him into the Riverlands or... Uh, more specifically, it would put him indigenous to the Neck region. Well, the Neck is where the Kranigan live. And also, the, the, this, the general description of this person, the smallness, the sharp features, the skinniness, uh, the way he kind of styles and groups himself, broadly matches the other Kranigan men that we've met in the story. Let me read you a description of Bran's first meeting with Mira and Jojen in A Clash of Kings. It says, as the newcomers walked the length of the hall, Bran saw that one was indeed a girl, Mira, though he would never have known it by her dress. She wore lambskin breeches, soft to long use, a sleeveless jerkin armored in bronze scales. 
Though near Rob's age, she was slim as a boy with long brown hair knotted behind her head. The brother was several years younger and bore no weapons. His grab, uh, garb was green, even the leather of his boots. When he came closer, Bran saw his eyes were the color of moss. Uh, both reeds were slight of build, slender as swords, and scarcely taller than Bran himself. So again, we see they're slim, they're short, they have their hair knotted behind their head in a distinctive style similar to the High Septon, similar to this other Septon. So, we've got a rough physical description between the Septons matching that of a uh, Cranigan man. Um, what else for evidence? Well, let's look at the interaction he has with Cersei here, the High Septon. He says, have you seen what they've done? This is Cersei with Blessed Baylor's statue. They befoul the plaza with their pigs and their goats and their knights' soil. Here she's complaining about the sparrows, uh, these these poor indigent people that have, you know, armor, armed up for the faith and they're just living in squalor in the Sept of Baylor because they've turned it into kind of this, uh, you know, camp for these people. The High Septon responds, Night soil can be washed away more easily than blood, your grace. If the plaza was befouled, it was befouled by the execution that was done here. She thinks, Cersei thinks to herself, he dares throw Ned Stark in my face. She says, we all regret that. Joffrey was young, and it was not as wise as he may have been. Lord Stark should have been beheaded elsewhere out of respect for Blessed Baylor, but the man was a traitor, let us not forget. The High Septon responds, King Baylor forgave those who conspired against him. Some... So uh, Roadside Rose says that this shows an affection that the High Septon had for Ned Stark, that he's willing to throw his innocence into Cersei's face. Kind of uh, circumstantial evidence. But we got to ask ourselves, why would Howland Reed, who is a staunch advocate of the old gods, who you know worships the trees and has affinity for nature, all this, why would he be parading around as a Septon of the Seven? Know what Bran has to say about the Cranigan men in A Clash of Kings. It says, he tried to recall that he'd been taught of the Cranigan men who dwelt among the bogs of the neck and seldom left their wetlands. They were poor folk, fishers and frog hunters who lived in houses of thatch and woven reeds and floating islands hidden in the deeps of the swamp. It was said that they were a cowardly people who fought with poison weapons and preferred to hide from foes rather than face them in open battle. And yet Howland Reed had been one of his father's staunchest companions during the war for King Robert's crown before Bran was born. So, here we see that the Cranigan men, some people call them cowards, but another way you could say is that they're, you know, guerrilla fighters. They believe in guerrilla warfare. They're like the special ops of Westeros. They pop in the shadows. They hit you with the poison darts. They've got movable castles. They're master of hiding their ways. You can't track them. What would a Cranigan man do if you go back and think about all the things I told you about the Grand Northern Conspiracy over the last three weeks, what would a Cranigan man do if he had a letter, uh, if he knew that John that John Snow was actually a secret Targaryen and a secret Stark and a possible heir to the throne, and he got a letter from Rob Stark that was delivered to him by Lady Stoneheart that legitimized John as a Stark? What would he do if he wanted to best put himself in a position to assist the Stark cause and to assist not only him returning to the King of the North, but perhaps being crowned as ruler of all Westeros? He might put on the disguise of a Septon. Uh, he might, uh, you know, I can easily see Howland Reed running around the neck barefoot, uh, climbing trees, uh, doing all those things. 
putting on this disguise of a septon and going, uh, winning popular sport, raising this peasant army that is at, at the time of Dance of Dragons and Feast for Crows already outclassing what is left of the Lannister forces at the capital and putting himself in a position where he can, at the right time, legitimize and proclaim John Stark, John Snow slash Stark, as the true heir to the throne and the ruler of Westeros. So it's arguable that if this is Howland Reed as the High Septon, that he's able to finagle himself um, into position as the most powerful man in King's Landing right now. He's in an ideal position to help Jon Snow if he wanted to make a bid for legitimacy. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. If you go to the thread on Reddit, you'll see in the comments, on the highest rated comments, that there is some parallels between uh, this and Howland Reed possibly being the identity of the Knight of the Laughing Tree at the Tournament of Harrenhal that we talked about in the R plus L equals J theory discussion. Again, this is pretty tinfoily, but it could be someone putting two and two together and maybe a step ahead of George Martin. There's not a lot of foreshadowing in the text there, but we do know from Martin, from his Q&As and from his public appearances, that Howland Reed is going to make an appearance. And he kind of gave a circumspect answer Right when Dance of Dragon is released, uh, someone asked him if they will ever see Howland Reed, and he gave this really neutral response that would leave it to be open to whether he's already made an appearance or he will make an appearance. And if it was, in fact, the High Septon, well, he's already made his appearance. So, again, it's tinfoily, but I feel like it's kind of uh, Roose Bolton-type tinfoily. Could very well be true. Uh, could be full of crap, but it's fun to think about. Love to hear your feedback on what you think or if you find any other textual support, um, anything that you find in the other threads. Because there's since then, this is a newly developed thread. There's a lot of posts on it. If you see anything that I've missed, let me know about that. Hope you've enjoyed this installment. Uh, it's been a marathon of a podcast, but it's been fun to research. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And I will see you next week.